0: Grinders, and welcome to the morning grind. <laughs> this is Dean Chabelson. Dean, once again, filling in for, uh, for Stevie. You guys know this is Stevie's podcast. Stevie's busy knocking on his NASCAR content. Of course, if you want NASCAR content, you know where to get it here at RotoGriders.com. That said, we are continuing uh, our personality, our DFS personality series. And you may, if you're an old school RG guy, if you're an old school DFS guy, you may recognize that intro, of course, from, uh, from On The Bump. Here at Rotor is the Rotor Grinder series on YouTube, uh, I'm going to bring in the host of that uh, Canada's favorite son, uh, former Fanduel Live final champion Chris Lowry of course, y'all, You guys know him better as Pepsi Seven, Pepsi Siete. What's up, Pepsi? I'm doing well, buddy. I'm really well. Happy to be on here, and uh, it's nice to see you again. Yeah, it's nice to see you as well too. We're we're like real life like friends. We we became friends through DFS and. Uh, yeah, well, I, I know uh, I know you about as well yeah. as anybody, I think, in the DFS world. The other day, I had a Pete Overzet on. That was an awesome, uh, fun interview as well. Somebody I didn't know, and I had a great time getting to know him. But I'm probably going to be asking a lot of questions that I don't necessarily know, but a lot of the viewers, of course. Uh, I say viewers because we're also on YouTube. And uh, we should say on YouTube, you're rocking the uh, the Canadian flag there in the background. You're rocking a pretty sweet beard as well. Now, it's not the quarantine beard that I was hoping for. I've seen pictures of. I know Devin, our producer here uh, he's got pictures of you from like, what, at three, three, four months of no, uh, no shaving and your hair was all over the place. Uh, uh, maybe you'll put it up now. It's good stuff for sure. But, uh, I guess you found yourself a haircut and you got yourself a trimmer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We all went through hell, I think for a few months and a lot of us are still going through it, especially my fellow American friends that, uh, oh, what a mess there, but yeah, I basically locked myself in, uh, in my home for almost three months, I think here. And, uh, I even shaved my beard several times. I don't know if d going to show the picture or not there, but uh, I shaved a few times, actually. It still was looking like a caveman and all this hair. So more hair than I probably ever had in my life. But I uh, was happy to get rid of it all there. But
0: uh, well, probably about 10 days or so I got rid of it finally. Things you were – we'll, we'll get to it. soon enough Pepsi, obviously. But you were, uh, you were in the Philippines uh, somewhat before or right before the whole quarantine thing hit or right around that time. Did, did you have yeah. trouble getting back? No, I mean, uh,
1: you know, we would all heard about what was going on in China and, you know, I was concerned, but like a lot of the other viruses that happened over the years, they weren't really a big player here in North America. So I was keeping an eye on things, wasn't overly concerned, but as it kept getting bigger and bigger and it started to spread a little bit, I thought, you know what, maybe it's time to go home early back to Canada where we're a little more prepared than, than a country like the Philippines, uh, you know, is if a pandemic, say, hit, still not expecting that. So it was late February, I think, that I came home, not wanting to come back in winter. the whole point was to be on a nice uh, hot beach during the winter months here. But uh, I came back early and uh, obviously happy I did because,
0: uh, you know, Canada was uh, very prepared for it and we've done a really good job handling it. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy for that. What's the day-to-day like right now? You're in uh, around the Toronto suburban area more or less? Yeah, I'm just about
1: mm, 30 to 40 minutes north of Toronto.
0: And as far as uh, are things opening up out there, I don't, I don't know much about Canada as far as what's going on uh, quarantine-wise. I feel, you guys, I feel like you guys are doing fairly well, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, we're we're doing pretty good. Actually, we shut down uh, pretty tightly for a while there. And um, I think we're around the last couple of weeks, we've been between two and 300 cases in the whole country per day. So that's pretty good for us. And um, I think yesterday was the first day we had zero deaths reported in uh, my province, Ontario. So that's good. And uh, things slowly opening up. You know, most places are still, you know, kind of, uh, you know, restaurants and things like that. Patio only, takeout only, but A lot of the stores have opened up and they're discussing mandatory masks for everybody in the stores and in the grocery stores and and places like that. So I don't think it's official yet. But for the most part, you know, when I was out and about, most people were doing their part, staying away from each other, wearing masks, trying to trying to limit this. So, um, you know, I'm very proud of our country and what we've accomplished here because it's a scary thing, you know, and, you know, I'd hate to think if we weren't uh, going by this where we could be at, you know
0: absolutely uh, a lot of us uh quarantines hit us kind of hard i we, we've added some lbs those are pounds you guys have pounds in canada you know what yeah. lbs are right yeah. how does yeah, the metric system how does that work you guys have that up there um i we do have the metric system but i don't know that we all pay attention to it as well <laughs> i mean i don't really know much about the metric system i was making the point that you're um you uh you, you went the other way you're like in the greatest shape of your life or one of the great i mean I, i've seen you know uh I've seen some pictures. I'm, there's an implication to that that doesn't sound right. You want to rephrase that? Dude? I've seen pictures of you working out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you went the other way. Like you're knocking out your shakes every single day, and like you you eat, you eat clean. And I don't know if you're what age you're pretending to be today. If you're 28, if you're 42, if you're 41. But uh, for whatever particular you know what age you may be today, you are quite possibly in the greatest shape of your life. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say that I'm close. I mean, even though I went away for a few months
1: there, I, I kept training, which I wasn't sure what happened. Anytime you go on vacation, well, in my case, it wasn't really vacation, I guess, when you're gone that many months, but you always worry about, you know, kind of getting out of hand. You have a few extra drinks, you eat a few extra cheeseburgers, whatever the case is, but uh, I did a great job. I stayed disciplined, and uh, when I came home, I kept training, and uh, just before everything went down, I kind of had a suspicion this could last a while, and it might not be very good, and you know, a lot of people weren't really sure what was going on, so I bought a bike and a core machine, and and I uh, kept using that. I thought, okay, I'm not going to be the guy that puts on 20 pounds here. No excuse if I got this. And uh ordered a home gym, and, yeah, I'm doing my best to stay in shape.
0: I feel like you're throwing some shade that way. That, that last sentence there, Pepsy. I feel like you're throwing it my way. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, I, I see. How do I know you're not? You didn't order a home gym, and you're working out hard. I don't know, man. We've not yeah. really been uh, communicating a lot lately, but uh... – I've done a poor job. I've let you down, Pepsi, but you know what? There's always (laughs) tomorrow, I suppose. You know what?
1: I had high hopes for you. I still do, but
0: you're never going to let me down. I'm always here regardless. I I appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, You know, and also, Bessie, if you're like, we'll talk about it. I have a whole list of things I want to talk to you about. MMA. You were an MMA fighter at one point, too, and I imagine and you were trained with uh, some legit people as well, and I imagine you're in some really good shape at that time as well. But uh, I want to talk to you about high school. High school, you were – a, I mean, is it fair to call you like a baseball pro, uh, prospect? I know you're good enough to go down uh, to the DR, Dominican Republic, when you're, what, 15, 16 years old, something like that?
1: Yeah, when I was 16, I, um, I tried it for um, a uh, all-Ontario team. Ontario is a province here in, in Canada, and uh, Toronto is in that province of Ontario, for those that uh, don't uh, know much about Canada. So all-Ontario trials went, I made the team, I was sponsored by um, a guy that was uh, going to go on tour in the Middicott, do a bunch of tournaments. He was friends, the coach with alfredo griffin who was uh fresh off a blue jays world series win in 92 and we were going down the winter of that so i guess it'd be what did they, if they won it in october but a couple of months after the jays had won the first world series we were going down to play in a, a tournament in boca chica in the dominican that alfredo griffin runs i guess every year we played a couple of his spots too Santo domingo and some of the bigger spots there but uh yeah i was fortunate enough to make that team uh, i talked to some scouts down there from the cardinals and the dodgers actually while i was there but uh you know, never, never went much further than that. I was never drafted or anything crazy like that.
0: I'm going to show my ignorance here. Boca Chica, is that a city? I I just think of Hiram Boca Chica, the old school baseball player. I love that name. (laughs) Uh, Is that a city down there in the Dominican?
1: Yeah, it's a city about, I want to say 30 minutes from San Domingo. San Domingo is like the big city there. where A lot of guys play their winter ball. They got a big dome and that. But Boca Chica is where they run this tournament yearly. At least they used to. I really don't know much about the last few years, but Alfredo Griffin's a big deal down there. I think he does a lot of charity work and baseball work and he runs this tournament for, um, uh, out of Boca Chica, at least he used to. And that's where we, we had the big tournament. Yeah.
0: What is a, uh, what's your big takeaway about playing baseball down there and just hanging out in the Dominican at what 15, 16 years old? I loved it. I mean, I'd never been out of the country
1: ever. And I, I a 16 year old kid, never been away from his family. It was a big deal. It was over Christmas as well. So that was really strange not being around my family for Christmas, but I absolutely loved it. I loved the weather. The people were so friendly. I mean, playing baseball has been my passion since I was probably five years old. It's been my number one passion. So, you know, going down there playing was amazing. Some of the best players in the country and the competition. I mean, it was insane. I'd never faced pitchers like that before. I'd never seen curveballs and fastballs that were like this. So for me, it was just challenging, but an amazing experience as well, you know. That's where the nickname was born, right? Pepsi7 Pepsi? uh no shortly after that actually shortly after that when i came back i was uh, i played in a 21 and over league somehow when i was 17 and <laughs> I, I didn't drink because i really didn't care for the alcohol but also it wasn't legal yeah so i never was having their drinks after the game i just went out to the outside the locker room and hit the pop machine pop we say here so i machine, machine, had to grab a couple of pepsis and sit and hang out with the guys have a few drinks right and they just they didn't know who i was i was a rookie and uh so as i started playing better and you know, and getting to know some of the guys a little bit, they'd start talking to me more and more. And finally one guy just said, Hey, uh, rookie uh, Pepsi guy there. <laughs> and I turned and was drinking a Pepsi and hey, good game out there, kid. And then that just kind of stuck because they didn't care to know my real name, I guess. or didn't think
0: they had to at first. So. So you're, you're a ringer. Uh, everybody's over 21 years old. And you're 17. Is that, is that how that worked?
1: Yeah. Like I'm trying to remember the details now it was the 20 or 21 over league. So I don't really know how I got the team. Maybe they're allowed to have one underage. I forget now, but, uh, I remember feeling way over my head for for a little bit at first. There, it's really tough and to not much younger than everybody else, and, uh, and and trying to make it out there. But uh, it turned out pretty good.
0: You're always lying about your age. Your age, one way or the other, Pepsi. You're too young. You're too old. You know, we we know, can we pin you down, and can you tell us exact? Are you 28 today? How old are you today? Yeah, that's a good question. We don't, people
1: don't discuss their age. i know more of a woman thing, I guess. they not discuss their age, but uh, it's too bad that no chat here. I, I missed the chat already. I enjoyed doing our shows and having the chat there and guys guessing and stuff and giving
0: up prizes for them. But uh, yeah, I think it's better if everybody just guesses. <laughs> uh, when we are, uh, I'm getting, I'm jumping ahead, but I just got a flashback uh, to uh, we were on vacation. Like I said, we were like really, like, really like friends. We were hanging out. Uh, we were in Niagara Falls. I'm sure you remember the story because this makes you look better yeah. than kind of, it makes me look. But yeah. uh, we were going to New Casino, and I'm not sure if we're on the Canadian side or the American side. I think the Canadian side. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. doesn't yeah. matter. Well, I guess it matters because of how old you have to be, 18 to 21. Yeah, is that... I
1: It was the Canadian side, yeah.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> they, uh, they asked, and this wasn't that long ago, and you were clearly older than 18, but they asked uh, to see your ID. We're both in
1: our mid to late 30s, I think, right? <laughs> or, or
0: somewhere in that area? Yeah, so they asked to see your ID. You're in front of me, and like, they, they, they give your ID a quick inspection, whatever. And then they just give me the wave on through. I'm like, well, well yeah, look at mine. What you? <laughs> nah, he's like, no, you're good. I'm like, no, I want you to look at. My- <laughs> I was insulted, <laughs> you know. And then yeah. it, that's basically he's saying that I look distinctly older than you, which is, I guess, that's fair. I suppose it's the gray hair is a give it away. I think. Well, is it that obvious? I try to get my camera specs as much. Must- you know, not all of us are, are busted out just for men uh, putting orange in our hair or red. Whatever <laughs> you're doing.
1: Yeah, I wonder if I ever went gray at some point. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know most guys don't really care, but if I start going gray, is there just for men, that color, like I don't even know what color I am.
0: I don't what know. If, I'm not sure if that's. It's probably not a a popular uh, color. Yeah. I wouldn't think, but I, I don't know. But right. I think there's there is one like it blends the gray, and I I tried it once out of curiosity just to kind of see like how I, I just want to see how it looked, and I was also growing yeah. a terrible beard at the time, yeah. and it just looked awful, and I'm like, all right, I just I just saved it yeah. off, and yeah, it was just a disaster. And I'm like, it's easy this.
1: to tell. Like it's obvious that you have brushed it in or something like you know some guys wear the wig and it's just like dude sure. that's not a good
0: toupee like you can tell no but the, can you brush it in and make it i mean some of them got to work pretty good i guess i think the problem was i didn't keep it on long enough because it still looked kind of gray so i was like this doesn't look right uh, so i just sort of threw it away but way, as a kid i had your hair uh i had i had your hair color i looked like the dude from a uh, member mr d from a uh, from different strokes i looked like that kid danny cooksy they brought him in really late on different strokes. No, I watched not know but I don't
1: remember. What's his name?
0: Uh, Danny Cooksey. I don't know why I remember his name. But he was also on a show called Sweep Your Shorts on the, that was on the Nickelodeon. No? Nothing? I mean, you're showing your age again, Dean. <laughs> well, if I'm showing my age, <laughs> unbelievable. I was so angry. Who was your comp, Pepsi? Who was, I, I've actually, you know what, where I'm always giving you a hard time, but I'll say uh, I saw you later in life. Uh, we, we we had a catch I, I worked you out as far as like throwing, making you do some grounders and throwing the ball uh from like you know third base uh you remember this of course uh, in your you know at your house uh, outside your house not so not inside that would be kind of silly but uh and then i saw you in the batting cages i think it was softball for what it was worth but you were ripping Epstein.
1: yeah i mean i used to be a really good ball player at one point so you know I it. Like I said, it was my number one passion i mean i just loved it i played it every day i was one of those kids that couldn't wait to come home and Throw the ball against the wall and hit and play and do anything twenty four seven. So I still love the game of baseball. I still I still my on my passion.
0: Who was uh, who's your cop? Who's your uh, do I? How much do you cost in DFS? What position did you play? You were shortstop, right?
1: Yeah, I played shortstop most of my career. I was a catcher when I was younger and uh, converted to shortstop. Um, I even pitched a bit when I was really young. But uh, as you grow up and start getting to these better leagues, then you realize that you're just batting practice after a while. So, or most of us do anyway. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It was a catcher for all. Love, love catching, love calling the game, love being in control of that. I really did. And, uh, throwing out runners, you know, I had a pretty good arm. It was fun. Um, but yeah, I converted to a shortstop later and, and spent the rest of my career as a shortstop.
0: But you were mostly like a line drive guy You're, you, 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 would go for the homers or what? Yeah, it depends. I mean, I still hit my share home runs. Um,
1: but I, yeah, I would be more like, um, my defense at one point was maybe the best in the province. Some would say defensively I was very good. And I took a lot of pride in that. And, uh, but as a hitter, depending on the team I was on, if I was I either hit first, second, sometimes fifth, I was never the 3-4 guy. I never had that kind of power. But Hey, tell me this, Pepsi. Who was a better shortstop, Pepsi 7 or Derek Jeter? Oh, that's not even close. Derek Jeter
0: <laughs> is ridiculously overrated. I, you know, I,
1: Derek Jeter only won, like, what, five rings or something?
0: How many rings have you won, Pepsi? 11. And of those 11 rings, how many did you have within, like, arm's length? Any of them next to you, by chance? See, this isn't fair. You're setting me up. You told me to bring my rings out so that I have them here. So, yes, I have my rings. I said, Pepsi, you want to come off as modest as possible. <laughs> don't be all arrogant like you always are and say, bling, here are my rings. Uh, <laughs> I got 10 on my fingers. Guess what the 11th one is? Like, you don't want to do that. Well, uh, considering I just
1: moved to a rental and took me half an hour to find my rings before I even got on the show, I mean, that's,
0: uh, yeah. I knew you'd throw me in the bus, though. <laughs> <laughs> do you want you could show it show the viewers well one or two of them like anywhere kind of next to you like to show all off right. what you have because uh yeah okay so basically are you being serious by the way as far as like the, i know jeter already talks about like you know of course he's he's overrated he's a yankee and yada 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 yeah. he's all those championship teams but and i was talking to cardi about this too and like he would make these plays and like wow i want to play by jeter but everybody else is like and cardi's like and you're implying hey like an actual like real good shortstop makes that look routine so it's not as impressive as the way Jeter made it look. Is that kind of what you're implying? I I just think he's overrated. I think he was a
1: very good ball player, but I don't think he was the best shortstop ever. Like a few times you've seen on Twitter, who's the best shortstop of all time. And it seems like half of the majority of them say Jeter, like the best of all time. Settle down guys. He wasn't best defensively. He wasn't the best hitter. I don't know. I mean, I try not to be biased in baseball, but, um, I just feel like Jeter gets a lot of love, and I'm not sure it's deserved. I mean, like again, he's a very good player. A lot of people are gonna hate me over this tape. <laughs> but I do think Jeter is overrated. He played in some great teams. I think he was an overrated player, you know?
0: I'm not sure if you saw it, Pepsi, but he dove into the crowd and caught a foul ball. Did you see well, that? Well, like he
1: caught the ball in foul territory and his momentum carried him into the crowd. Does that mean it's a great catch because he caught it in
0: foul territory? I'm not sure if you saw this, Pepsi, but like there was a relay that he he caught he caught and pitched to the catcher with about three or four feet away that nobody else would have considered doing.
1: But well, you know what, though? First of all, B slides. That's not a conversation, but I will say this, yes. though. Jeter had no business being there, but the great players, and Jeter was probably a great player, had those instincts sometimes to pick up on those things. The fact that he was in that place to make that play is incredible. I'll give him full credit for that because Jeter's not supposed to be there or anywhere near there. So the fact that he ended up there to make that play is phenomenal. It was a huge run, a huge time, and all that, but, um, you know. I mean, that was a phenomenal, phenomenal player. The guy, the guy was a great player. I just don't think that he <laughs> was as great as a lot of people want to
0: think he was. Sure. Like, uh, okay, who is the best shortstop of all time? You talking defensively or offensively? Or all just guess, total?
1: Okay, do, give me total. But give well, me,
0: Alex Rodriguez.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if, if A-Rod's <laughs> going to be a shortstop, if we're going to consider him one, it's easy. It's A-Rod.
0: Yeah. Do it's I like A-Rod? So, Pepsi, no, steroids. I don't
1: like A-Rod. A- A-Rod, I'm not – I mean – Here's the other thing with steroids. It's a shame that Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame. He's the, maybe the best all-around player of all time. Yeah, He's by far the best hitter. Do I like Barry Bonds? No. Again, I try not to be biased to baseball, but he should be in the Hall of Fame. That span between 2002 and 2005 was the most incredible run you're ever going to see in professional sports, maybe at least in baseball. If you threw the pitch a quarter of an inch off the plate, <laughs> Bonds knew it was a ball and he took it. If you threw it on the corner of the plate, Bonds didn't hit it. He hit it to the ballpark. I mean, it was just incredible to watch. And, I mean, it's a shame he's not in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose should be there, too. I mean, it's different if you're a sumo wrestler, Dean, and you get huge and you blow up or an MMA fighter, perhaps even, and you're on steroids. But you don't got to hit a 98 mile an fastball on the corner of the plate or a changeup, or a curveball. Did it make him more powerful and stronger? Sure. But he's still a Hall of Famer, maybe before steroids. And here's my real take. Yeah. 80%, maybe higher, were all on steroids back then. He just got caught. But yeah, did he I actually mean, really get caught.
0: A lot of it is, like, if the pitcher's on steroids and the batter's on steroids, isn't that kind of sort of fair? I don't know. Yeah, the
1: pitchers, Yeah, a lot of guys didn't get caught. I honestly believe that 80% of the players during that Spanner era were all on it to some degree. They were all cheating, and everybody was doing kind of the same thing to get on the same, you know, even page or whatever. And I just, I mean, yes, obviously, Bonds looked like he was on steroids. It doesn't change the fact he's one of the best players of all time. What he did on the field should be all that matters if you kill somebody off the field or various other things you do it's sad you should be punished but it shouldn't take you out of the hall of fame it's, it should only be what you did on the field like pete rose the gambling thing i mean i don't know i still think he's a hall of Famer. he should
0: be in the hall of fame there's no hall of fame without barnes and rose in my opinion yeah well there's a lot of dirtbags in the hall of fame uh yes. if you want to go down that route yeah. There's a lot of dirtbags in the Hall of Fame. And, yeah, I was talking – I think uh, Cardi said Barry, Barry Larkin was like his comp. Like, uh, Jeter's more like Barry Larkin. I, I think I threw out, like, Robin Yow. That's basically what he could have been if he just didn't play in New York and he wasn't one of those right. championship teams. It's not, like, shade. He's just not yeah. as good as the the shine he gets. Well, Larkin's a great example. That was uh, – Cardi said that? I think – I'm pretty sure that's what Cardi
1: said, yeah. yeah I asked, we, we sort crazy. of talked about it. I think that – well, didn't – was he the 90 NL MVP to Larkin, I think, somewhere around there? He was an MVP. I don't know. Did Jeter ever win an MVP?
0: Probably. I don't know. I, I don't pay attention to those things, to be honest. Like I, I noticed definitely. them, but it's not something I like. I have a recollection of. I would yeah. imagine so, but I don't know. It's irrelevant
1: somewhat, but I'm just saying, you know, one-year MVP doesn't necessarily make somebody a better shortstop in a career. I'm just saying that I think Larkin did win MVP. I'm not sure Jeter won an MVP of a season. And I think Larkin's a good comparison. Maybe his career wasn't as long, but that's a very good comparable to me. And I agree. He didn't get the credit he deserved, perhaps. And Jeter got more than he deserved.
0: Uh, so Jeter was the All Star MVP of 2000, World Series MVP, five five gold gloves. Ha! Really? <laughs> good Lord. Five gold gloves? <laughs> yeah, Jeter had five gold gloves. I really did. drunk are the writers? Uh, right. rookie of the year, 14-time All-Star. I, that, that's enough shade on there, Cheater, I suppose. He, whatever. He's, he's a yeah. very
1: good player. He's a great player. I just feel like he gets – again, maybe it's just – maybe I should say it this way. He gets too much credit where guys like Larkin didn't get enough. Maybe that's the best way to say
0: it. Yeah, Larkin kind of gets lost in history. A guy like Robin Yount just kind of gets lost in history for whatever reason. So it, Robin Yount was more known as a center fielder when his big prime year. I mean, I know he's a
1: stuff early on, but he's more known as an outfielder perhaps. But, again, a also went to third base, so – yeah what's the criteria here? But yeah, I hear you. Robin yet was a superstar for many, many years
0: and doesn't seem to get the credit. A lot of this stuff's probably fresh in your brain. Cause I know you've been watching, you're talking off air. You've been watching uh, these uh, on, on YouTube, like the seasons, every single season, they kind of break down in video form. Is this something, have, have you knocked out the Jeter years? What do what you, what do you, uh, yeah, what do you yeah. there?
1: So I start MLB, it's called MLB seasons. And they don't have every year from like the fifties up, but they do like an hour on each season, break down the teams and the biggest moments and then break down the playoffs. It's, a lot of fun to watch i've been doing that when i've missed baseball and uh, some of the years they don't have so you can also go to world series film also on youtube and they'll basically just focus on the world series and, and that particular year again about an hour maybe an hour and a half the shows are but uh it's been good yeah so i kind of recapped i've been doing a lot of
0: that the last couple of months when bored. did you play hockey at high school as well or is there other other high school hockey teams in canada are there local squads how does that work yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're in Canada, you played
1: hockey. If you didn't play hockey, you're one of the few that that doesn't, right? We live and breathe hockey here. It's our number one passion. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very rare to find someone that grew up and didn't at least play some,
0: some hockey for fun on the pond or whatever. Were you a goon? Well, what was your game like in hockey? They don't have goons anymore, right? And NHL no, so basically got rid no. of them?
1: No, I was a pretty good hockey player as well as a better baseball player. Um, and later in my later years, like my later teen years and stuff, I slowed down in hockey to concentrate on baseball because, as you mentioned earlier, I was traveling and whatnot. And uh, I, I realized I still wasn't going anywhere in baseball, but I enjoyed it more. And I, I was trying to go as far as I could and, and play the highest level and travel as much as I could through baseball. So hockey went to the uh, went to the wayside there a little bit. But uh, I love hockey. Uh, I was I was a pretty fast skater, good hands, more of a playmaker, not a, not a goal scorer. You know, so maybe an Adam Oates type for those that remember um Boston? for him. But uh yeah, but uh yeah, I love the game hockey and uh you know, I I was a guy too I loved to work hard. I loved to get in the corners, I loved to win face offs, I love to block shots, all those things that most guys don't wanna do, right? But uh had a few fights, but I certainly wasn't a goon. I think I might have had Man, maybe seven or eight fights my entire career in hockey.
0: Give me your most memorable fight. And, like, what, what, how tedious are the things you fight over? Is there something that's completely silly, completely goofy? Uh, does it, like, progress throughout the game? And it's just that, you know, third period, let's just throw down. I, my favorite, by the way, I'll, I'll, ask, I'll let you answer in a second. But I love when they're starting a game. They don't do this anymore, but in the old school, they, before the game even starts, like, two guys are talking smack, like, let's just go. Let's yeah, have yeah. at it. And it's, it's a callback to something previously that happened. Right. That's yourself. case.
1: Well, I mean – most of my fights were during playoff series, because you know, like, like anything, after you're playing a team three to five, four to seven series, you start to hate each other. And once one game gets out of hand, somebody's losing and winning big, you know, that's when the fist of the cost can break out. So a lot of teams, a lot of teams, sorry, maybe they're target because I wasn't a big guy and I was usually one of the more skilled guys. So they figured if they just beat the snot out of me and rough me up, I just <laughs> go away. And that usually worked, but I, I wasn't that kind of guy. I wasn't really intimidated easily. And, you know, the more you piss me off, the more I try to rise to occasion. So, you know, we get to game four, and, you know, generally we'd be up a few goals. And that's when somebody do something stupid. I'm like, okay, I had enough. I can get kicked out of this game now, you know? And the <laughs> way it went. But um, I had one. I had a couple of good memories, actually. I got in a fight one time. This is probably the best one. I was in high school, uh, facing our rival. We just went up 3 1 in the series on home ice. I just scored a big goal to put us up like 4 1 late in the third. So it kind of clinched the game. And this one guy just been a pest the whole time trying to, you know, gooning me up. So finally I said something to him on the bench on the way by basically saying, <laughs> yeah, now we can go, you know? So he came out and we dropped the gloves and um, I was actually doing quite well. Popped his helmet off quick. Cause back then we had helmets and masks on full masks. So if you didn't get that mask off, you were in trouble. You yeah. turtle eventually. So I popped this mask off real quick, threw a few four or five good shots into him. And if I just had a cab hitting him, I'd have won the fight. The crowd was going crazy. It would have been great. But I tried to jersey him, just to, just to basically embarrass and jersey him and finish him. It's a classic and in, move. In the midst of me fighting with his jersey and stopping to punch, stop punching, <laughs> he decided to pop my helmet off and pop me right in the nose. Both eyes watered, couldn't see a thing. He hit me a few more times, and I took him to the ground, and the next day I had two big shiners. <laughs> in a fight that I really should have
0: won, but I tried to get coffee in Jersey. And <laughs> are there unwritten rules of like, it's got to be one of, like nobody really comes, it's like a third man in. You don't really see that too often. At least I don't notice that. It's always like every kind of, was, like a couple guys are hugging and a couple of guys are hugging and then two, yeah. you know, two guys are fighting over here. Uh, are there unwritten rules as far as hockey fights? Yeah, everybody get a man basically. And there's, there's a third
1: man in penalty. It's usually severe. Um, you're tossed out for a few games. If you leave the bench or you're the third man into a fight, it's not just five minutes or that game. Usually it's a suspension of some sort. So the only time that really happens is the odd five and five fight where a guy attacks a guy. Like maybe, maybe their goon goes after our best player sort of thing, just to beat on and, and somebody else is going to come in and save him more or less. But uh third minute doesn't happen too often unless you're just pummeling a guy and nobody's breaking it up, which I've, I've been in a few brawls too, unfortunately where I've had, I've seen buddies of mine getting double teamed and I'm coming no matter what at that point, right? You just can't let that happen. So
0: so sometimes like one of your teammates does something stupid and you have to just kind of step in just to help the diffuse situation as much as possible, or just try not to let them get annihilated completely. Yeah. in the one case though, like, it's just a matter of we had a brawl once where we had,
1: it was one of those games where everybody's getting tossed out left, right, center. Again, it's a blowout. And I think we had 15 guys left. We had 11. And then late in the third period, we had a bench clearing brawl. They had four more guys than we did. And we had a couple <laughs> guys that one guy wanted no part of fighting. Another guy refused to leave our bench and their entire bench cleared. So we had a few situations where, you know, a couple of guys were getting double teamed and I was basically at one point, just go after a couple of fights I'd already finished. Yeah. I was going around trying to, you know, save some of your, your teammates. You know what I mean? But, uh, that team though was crazy was, we had a few MMA fighters on that team. So I think they thought they're in pretty good shape. And there's a few other guys laying on the ice there for a while. They walked into a few of my buddies that, uh, my one buddy, Sean Pearson who fought in the UFC, he knocked out three
0: guys, I think, before that brawl seemed to be halfway through. So, Crazy. you mentioned uh, you mentioned Sean Pearson. You mentioned MMA. Let's talk about that because I know you trained at some point. You fought MMA. I don't know when you did though. Were you were you twenty years old? Were you twenty five? Were you thirty? When did this happen? Oh, what did that have been? I would have been late twenties, I guess, early thirties when I started.
1: I, uh, I Why did you start out of curiosity? Like, did you just you're just wanted to get in shape? Yeah, I mean, I always loved mixed martial arts. My dad was a mixed martial artist, but I didn't really pay attention to it back then. He tried to show me things, but I would armbar my friends when I was young, and he had to stop teaching me things, you know, or I remember doing things to my sister, and I got in trouble, so they had to shut it down until I was older. But then when I was older, like mid-teens, late teens, I was traveling for sports. I was playing a lot and I just kind of didn't follow through with learning anything from him. So fast forward 10 years, my buddy Sean Pierce and I are playing baseball together, hockey together, and he's known as one of the better fighters in the country, but we don't know how good he is just yet because the UFC is just kind of starting up and he's getting older, not really fighting full time. So he opens up a club for MMA, local club, and says, you know, or actually somebody else opened it up and he was doing the training. And he says, come on in for three months or so. I can get you, you know, a free pass for three months. You can train and you can learn. And he says, get your ass in shape, you know? And I said, oh, well, I'm in shape. And he says, no, no, no. Get in real shape. And I'm like, dude, I'm playing hockey. I'm playing sports. Like, okay. So I join a gym and for three weeks I do steady cardio. The stair climbers, sprints, I'm doing everything, crunches, things I've never done before. And I come back in three weeks and I say, yeah, man, I'm in good shape. Let's go. And a uh, two hour class, first class, eight minutes in, I was done. I mean, <laughs> I had no idea what being in shape was. And so I started this, I was, I started doing arm bars with this one guy and he looks at me and says, are you gas dude? I'm like, yep. He says We've got two hours of fighting left. I said, I know. <laughs> so That's what I realized when he said, get in shape. I mean, I had no idea the kind of shape those guys are in. So I, there was no way possible for me to get in that shape. I didn't know that existed. So it wasn't until I started training that I went, oh my God, this is what being a shape's all about. I mean, it's just, for those of you trained, you know what I'm talking about. And those of you who haven't, it
0: is absolutely insane the kind of shape they're in. I mean, of course I can relate to the story, Pepsi, but if you could help for our listeners. Um, yeah, so like, what did you start at weight-wise? Or it's just, you're kind of the same weight. You're just kind of building up this endurance. You're just changing the structure of your body. Did it, like what did you go from like uh, weight wise do you recall actually i was i was a little bit chubby back then because i didn't
1: eat well didn't know much about nutrition i played a lot of sports but i wasn't intelligent in terms of like i said nutrition so i was probably around 180 yeah and I, so i lost a lot of weight obviously i was going three classes a week every week and i did that for a few months before i had my first you know amateur fight we call them and um I was down to 155 in three months, so I lost almost 25 pounds, and that's just, I mean, that just goes to show and I started eating better, and obviously, my friend, my friend, Sean Pearson had some of the best nutritionists and trainers in the country, and I was learning from them about how to cut weight, and what to eat, and when to eat it, and all these things were new to me, so I eventually got down to 155 and was fighting at uh, lightweight at that point. Tell me about your first fight. <laughs> You know, they say you learn a lot more from your losses than your wins. And that was the case. I got absolutely destroyed in my first fight. Um, I was three months into training. He was six months, which three months doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're only three months and six months is twice as much, obviously. And it is a huge, huge difference. And I, I couldn't get any combinations off because when I hit the bags and the pads, I hit them real well. But when he moved, it didn't help me. So he beat me up really bad. He threw a lot of kicks to my body and my legs especially I couldn't walk legitimately could not walk for two days I was black and blue and had to basically sit in ice packs and ice baths for a couple of days before I could walk normally or upstairs after that fight but uh I learned a lot from it I started going to the kicks as my main thing moving forward and I didn't lose a fight after that so you do learn a lot more from your losses than that but that was uh what a learning experience that was you won what four or five fights after that yeah, four. I went four and one. So I won four straight fights after that one. And actually at one point thought about turning pro and I would have fought at 135 because uh, wow. my buddy Pearson had said to me, if you can get down to 135, you know what I mean? You got heavy hands for a small guy. You do really well down there, but at 155, I probably would have got killed. So um, yeah, it never actually happened. Though. My father got sick and passed away around that time. I stopped training and, but I was really at the time, I was really considering it and I was actually planning to go to Chicago, I believe it was with a group of people to do some amateur fights there and then from there it was like okay time to turn and see what happens but um yeah i never got to that point
0: i'm trying to think the timeline because obviously and i'm sure you remember this too ufc like in the 90s the late 90s it was just like uh the rules were there was like no weight classes yeah right like yeah so i I guess at some point you're talking about 135 so i assume you're talking about post 2000 right as far as fighting
1: Yeah, there was no 135 division even in the UFC at that point, but you could still, turning pro didn't need to fight the UFC. It's just like there's, you know, like in any professional league, there's many pro leagues to be in. So I would have turned pro because the only thing you can do outside of amateur fighting, if you want to make money and travel, you have to turn pro, like air quotes for those who are not uh, watching us. So yeah, that's, I was only turning pro to have bigger fights, have prize money, travel, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, this is all before the UFC blew up. I remember talking to my buddy Pearson about it and, I kept telling people, my buddy Pearson's phenomenal. Like he was destroying fighters that had, you know, third degree black belts and and all these different medals and things. And he was killing them and training in amateur fights. And I kept telling people, he's the real deal. I mean, he'd be in the UFC if he kind of didn't quit. And of course, most people don't believe you, right? And he was watching a lot of guys hit the UFC and have success. And he said he'd fought and beat before. I believed him. And eventually he got the call to the UFC. He decided to go back into training again because he was just frustrated See, and these guys blow up. And he's like, I beat all these guys at one point. So he ended up getting the call to the UFC, and uh, he was a welterweight and uh, became good friends with George St. Pierre, actually. And he ended up with a 5-2 a and two record in the UFC. And I think he didn't start fighting until he was 35 or 36 before he went back to the UFC. So at the end of his career, he
0: was still beating guys up pretty good there. So uh, then then the UFC was was blowing up long before that point. Yeah, I just pulled it up on the fly, and he was fighting in the UFC and it looks like 2010 to 2013 uh i'm not sure uh lance but kenny robertson he beat these guys i'm not aware of these names so i'm not very savvy when it comes to yes, ufc that, i know some of the guys today but what's that, that i don't think that was
1: the, that was pre-ufc i think his first ufc fight was matt riddle and even if you don't if you're a ufc or a fighter fan at all the matt riddle sean pearson fight that was his first fight and it might have made the i think it made the main card even the first fight in the main card maybe it was dinner card but um on the pay-per-view i'm referring to but that fight itself is an awesome fight, period. They go three rounds. They go toe-to-toe. It's all stand-up. It is a war. Matt Riddle, Sean Pearson. I don't know how Matt Riddle got out of the first round. My buddy knocked him out, I thought, three <laughs> times and then held on for dear life. But if, if you're just a fan in general and you're listening, you got to watch the
0: Sean Pearson, Matt Riddle fight. That is a beauty. By chance, do you know what Matt Riddle is doing these days?
1: Oh, I don't. I actually went back and watched a lot of the Ultra fighting, um, the TV show, Tough, the ultimate fighter. And I didn't even realize he was on. I didn't know who he was until my buddy was fighting him. But
0: uh, tell me what he's up to. He's a WWE wrestler.
1: Oh, is he really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: awesome. Yeah. Thanks
1: for yeah. Him. Wow, there that's you go. Great. I didn't know
0: that. He's What's still his name? Fairly... His name is Matt Riddle. Apparently. Oh, okay.
1: There you go. Okay. Wow. Well, that's <laughs> well.
0: That's... People know him through UFC, so I suppose like it's, you, you might as well just keep your name or some value to that. I guess that's how that, how that works. Yeah. Um, let, let's pivot. Let's talk to DFS. I'm sure that people want to hear about your DFS history as well. Uh, when did you discover DFS? When did you find out about it? I suppose, uh, I suppose you're probably playing season long with your friends before DFS was a thing.
1: Yeah, I was a huge season long guy in, in, in baseball. And, uh, I remember actually running leagues as a teenager and, um, getting the, the newspaper on Tuesdays, with the full <laughs> stats and updating the whole league and doing all that. I was a crazy baseball guy, right? I was very passionate about it all. Um, yeah, so I've been doing season longs for, for many years. And then when I started having all the success, We'd start playing for money, and then, you know, you start doing well on that. It's like, okay, you start moving up to the higher stakes and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I remember at one point, I think, the year before I joined or the year that I did hear about DFS, I was in, I think, 11 or 13 leagues. <laughs> um, yeah, so – and then a buddy of mine, Sean Shard, actually, he was also uh, maxed out. Maybe some people know him on DFS. He did some work for RG as well, kind of some content, and uh, one of my best friends – actually, my best friend outside of DFS. Sorry, DFS. Uh, Pepsi, I'm right here. Yeah, well, I got to be honest to the viewers. Right? <laughs> He's my yeah, well, best friend. Morning. We've been uh, we were hanging out together doing a baseball draft in March, I believe that's what it was. A baseball draft in March in 2012, I want to say it was. Yeah, and a friend of mine uh, was playing DFS hockey. It was playoff time for hockey, and he was showing me that a team. And I think Milan Lucic from the Bruins just scored. He showed me the whole <laughs> point system. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And he was telling me about it. My buddy Sean dabbled a little bit and said, "Yeah, you know what." He said, I'll pop over. When baseball gets going, I'll set up an account with you because he had an account already with FanDuel, I believe. And he said, I'll, I'll set up an account, and we'll, we'll have a, a hangout day. We'll watch some baseball. We'll make a lineup. I'll teach you how to use it, whatever, and uh, we'll play. And like, yeah, okay, that sounds cool. And in
0: May of 2012,
1: you know, we end up uh, checking it out for the first time.
0: You mentioned uh, playing season-long in the newspaper, and, like, that really takes me back. And I just imagine some <laughs> listeners are like, "What? what's a newspaper? and <laughs> So like the cool, so the worst thing with the newspaper was, first of all, I, I would take the paper with me to school and I would do like our stats, like in like one of my classes or something like that. And I, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people did that as well. But uh, if you didn't have the the latest edition, like it wouldn't have the West Coast games in it. So like you would never have the box score for the Giants right. or the right. Padres right. and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, be, this is like before the internet, <laughs> really exposing how old we are. Yeah. But uh, that was, that was so tedious doing those numbers, but uh, that takes me back for sure. So you discover playing DFS, and I assume you're kind of like me. I don't think you, you're just not somebody that unloads thousands of thousands of dollars and just starts playing. Maybe you deposit 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. You're interested in see how it goes down. And uh, is, that, is that sort of your experience? You just kind of like dip your toes in and let, let's see how this works?
1: Yeah, so my buddy comes over on like a Saturday, I think. Uh, yeah, it was a Saturday. He comes over, and I remember because he played in the Sunday as well, I think he crashed to my place. So I, I had an office kind of a cool setup there with a couple of TVs and, and the MLB packets so we could watch a couple of different games. Maybe even three games at once, I think, at one point I had up there. And uh, so he comes over, we put the games on, and we start building the fan duel lineup. And we do it through his account because I haven't signed up yet, yet. I don't know what it is. I don't even know if I'm interested. It just seems cool. He goes, I'm going to join a tournament. Why don't we build a team together? And I think he
0: joined like the
1: $1 bunt. Is that right? The bunt team? That, that
0: sounds day? right. This is collusion, by the way. Just so you know, you're colluding, the two of you. Oh, All really? right. <laughs> I don't just messing around. <laughs> we build a team, and
1: basically he got the first base when I got the second base, something like that, I think. And we entered in the bunt with, like, I don't know how many thousands of people in the $1 tournament and um, win the tournament. We had a late home run from A.J. Ellis, who he picked. catcher. And, uh We win the tournament. I mean, it was probably, like, a couple hundred bucks, but uh, I think it's pretty cool. So we opened up an account for me. Uh, the next day is Sunday. We decide to both jump in the bunt together and make our own lineups. My buddy Sean's winning the thing the whole day. And real late in the day, he gets passed by me, and I win the
0: tournament. And he finishes second, and then we both just kind of fell in love with it from then. And away we went. So you both had this like great beginner's luck, and that's that. Like it wasn't yeah. you know, like a struggle from the start. And yeah. but, but did you know at, enough at the time to like stack? Like that wasn't no. common knowledge. There wasn't RG, or if there was, it was in the early stages of yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So like, did you even know that? Like, hey, the optimal way to do it is just, let's play four or five, and I think you can fail early. But you play five to six players from one team uh but like 2020 Pepsi or 2015 Pepsi however you want to look at it probably has a different way of building lineups than 2012 right yeah like in 2012 I don't remember all the rules to be honest because I I was just you know it was the first time
1: playing I don't think I didn't do anything about stacking I didn't really have a strategy I just kind of went to positions and you know I was aware of matchups that was so idea daily is that you could you could uh, exploit the matchups right so I was aware of that you know, I wasn't going to roster a lefty versus Randy Johnson, for example, just because <laughs> it was cheap or whatever. So, you know, you get on there and you know, you could exploit certain things, you know, which pitchers were fairly cheap in a good matchup perhaps. And, and we did have access to lineups. So I kind of did a little bit of that early on, which might've been ahead of the game a little bit, but I think some of the sharper guys were likely already doing that. So um, yeah, it was just kind of a, uh, yeah, probably just locked the first few tournaments, but that got me hooked and you start doing more research and dig it in and you start playing more and, you start winning some money and think, "Hey, this is good. Let's try to up the stakes a little bit." And away you go. And you know, next thing you know,
0: you're uh, you're doing quite well. At it. I should say, uh, RG is celebrating his 10th year anniversary. So by, by my UCF math, RG was a thing; it was around. You probably weren't aware of it. No, uh, and other sites of that sort. You know, it's just obviously it's not at where the level is uh, today. Uh, you eventually you get a ticket to a live final. And I know some people are signing up for these contests, and you're just signing up for contests. You don't know what you're signing up for. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I think either you had that story or your buddy, Sean, who became a friend of mine for you, of course. Um, did he have that story? Do you have that story where like you, you want a ticket to a live final and you didn't even know what you won. Like why, where's my catch? Mm-hmm. So I was a Friday, I was coming home from work, like a regular job
1: and thank God I don't do that anymore. And um, 2012, I think it was like, I'd been playing DFS a couple months, jumped into a fan qualifier because I'd come home from work and was just looking at tournaments. It was a Friday night. There was lots of them. And this one said trip to Vegas. And I went, nice. Who wouldn't like that? Never been to Vegas, right? So I joined it and I made one team. And I joking went downstairs to my mother and uh, wife at the time and said, Hey, I'm winning a trip to Vegas tonight, guys. Here we go. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't really believe that. I just, and then I explained that I entered some tournament, didn't know all the details. Turns out it was a DFS qualifier uh, for the DFBC, it was called back then. I did end up winning the thing. And as I was in first place or no, I was actually like in third or fourth place climbing up and realized, Hey, I got a shot to win this later in the day. So it turned into a sweat. And then I started reading the details and went, Oh, this isn't just a trip to Vegas. This is the (laughs) whole like final seat, like a poker thing. Like that's how I described it. It's like, it's like I'm getting a chance to be at the final table in a poker game. And I had no idea that I was winning a seat plus the chance to win big money. I simply thought first place was a, was a shot, a trip to Vegas and you know, second, third, fourth was money. So I really didn't know at the time that I entered it what I was getting into. So later on, when I was actually doing well,
0: did you uh, did you sweat it out? Do you remember? Like, did you like? Did you close strong? Did you have to like uh, you know hold off somebody else? How did the like, last few minutes work there?
1: I remember vaguely. Um, I had drafted. had I had I'd rostered Mike Trout, who was a rookie, <laughs> and was fairly cheap or reasonably priced. And I needed Trout to come up and either double. Single or get on and score. He was like a couple of Fando points back then. And the Angels had a couple of guys on. It was late in the game. And it wasn't looking great. And I think Mike Young made a routine error. Was it Mike Young playing second for Texas? Maybe For the Rangers,
0: that's certainly possible.
1: Mike Young makes a routine error to bring up first and third with two outs. And that brings Trout to the plate. I mean, it was a total routine. No, it wasn't Mike Young. Kinsler. It was Aaron Kinsler. Okay. Yeah. Story to Mike Young. Uh, Kinsler makes routine error. It was totally routine. Like It wasn't even a tough hop. Just complete botched it. Trout comes up, shouldn't have come up, hits the base hit, and gave me the one point, and then the RBI for the two points, and that's how I won it.
0: All right, you're on your way to Vegas. You figure out it's uh, you You won a ticket uh, in a tournament to a much bigger tournament and once you find right. out all the hoopla and all that. And I believe uh, the it was the very first year, I know Dan Bach and some of the RG guys were yeah. uh, covering it, either the first year they were there or you, of course, were spoiler twirl- alert. You were there the next year as well too with even some more tickets? Were you uh, w- w- you know, w- what were you prepping as far as you know in advance as far as getting there? Uh, and of course you show up in Vegas and you know it's just if it, it's like the way that I, I've seen, uh, massive room, TVs everywhere, open bar, everybody's super friendly. But w- what are your big takeaway before like if, uh, your, your actual finish? Well, first of all, going into it, I have
1: no idea what to expect, right? And uh, and, and, and not only did you win the ticket, you also got to take a plus one with you. So I convinced the wife to let me take my buddy Sean because it's a baseball trip, and I want him to help you know, strategize with me, and it's only a couple of days. I mean, he's more valuable than she is, and I can win money. This is serious. So I convinced her, let me take him. So we could uh, have a blast together, but yeah, I mean – you know, Fanduel was very good to us. Rotograms was very good to us. We, like you said, we, you know, Friday night, you meet the people and you go to dinner. Um, Brazilian steakhouse, I want to say, Ooh. which, yeah, not, not cheap. by any means. good food. All the, I think I don't drink. Right. So for me, it might've been free drinks too, but we have a whole area. They paid for everything. The next day we did some other event. Everything's covered and paid for. And then you do, of course, the, uh, the Sunday, I believe was the, when we did the, um, uh, was it Saturday night? Maybe it's a Saturday night. We did the, uh, the main event and, and, and Roto-Grind was there and you meet Dan and a few other guys. And, uh, uh, but I mean, I was a nobody back then. And, and, um, you know, it just, you don't know who's who or what, and it was just kind of all pretty new back then. So I don't remember a lot of the guys, but, um, I do remember you talked about the whole stacking and, and whatnot. I remember one guy in particular had heard on the radio <laughs> as he was going home from work that the Oakland A's had a. 340 batting average against so-and-so pitching
0: tonight. So we
1: stacked the whole age <laughs> roster. All the players, which I guess was allowed back then.
0: You could do that? I thought it was like up to six, but okay, I don't recall yeah. exactly.
1: No, it was eight or nine. He had the whole team and Oakland scored 21 runs that night. And he won <laughs> his ticket based on that. He later found out that those numbers were wrong that he heard and it wasn't that pitcher or something. So I mean, total fluke. And I yeah. think, you know, that's so when I got there, there was a few stories like this. One guy, couldn't get home from work. So his buddy made the lineup for him. Oh, boy. And which is perfectly legal because he has the account and all that. And he made it for him. You know, just like you. You get stuck at work, Dean. I go into your account. I make the lineup. You win. They agreed to split it, and they were both there. So there were some crazy stories about how everybody got there. But, um, yeah.
0: Did you also tell the guy that, like, the batting average against the pitcher, even if it was, like, a thing, is stupid, to, like, base your lineup off that? I mean. <laughs> Nobody cares about batting average, Pepsi. We all need a little bit of luck in life, right? Maybe, <laughs> some people believe in higher
1: powers that are helping us out sometimes, but uh, we all need a little bit of luck, and it was certainly on his side that night, considering
0: he got the wrong matchup and still put up the 21 runs. But, you didn't uh, want to, yeah. well, actually, the guy. I understood. Uh, yeah, he just pointed to the scoreboard. Who am I? I'm just some jerk on the sideline saying, yeah, you know, it's kind of silly I mean, to do. How it. do you argue? He got it right. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's the old scoreboard point for sure. And yeah. where did you where did you finish? Um uh, I
1: finished sixth overall. I remember I had Clayton Kershaw that night, and I was in like 11th or 12th late. And every home run I remember was getting – or sorry, every strikeout was getting an extra $1,000. So he was into the fifth inning. And we'd done the math and done the points, and there was a, another guy with me there too. Uh,
0: Jack and Soda maybe it was? No. That name sounds familiar. That's an old-school DFS guy.
1: Yeah, I don't think that was him, though. I'm trying to remember the name. Was it like, was
0: like STL, STL Cards that, that, year, that year
1: or the next year? I don't year? remember. I remember meeting oh. him the next year. What a super nice guy he was. He was the first guy to ever walk up and say, you know, "Hey, I'm nice to meet you." Because again, I don't know anybody. I'm not familiar with all these, you know, things. And he was pretty, pretty sharp guy. He'd been winning some money back then, and you know, he's still killing it to, the, to today, obviously. But I think he knew a few things and knew the ropes and stuff. And he super nice guy, come up and talk to me. But yeah, but I don't remember him the first year, but yeah. I know for sure he was there in the second year. But um yeah, I mean, talk about meeting. I mean, I know you're going down a different road here, but some of the DFS people you mentioned earlier too, like they're all pretty nice guys. Everybody's friendly and they really are, but you know, not everybody. I mean, D, I mean, cards is a guy that I'd like to get to know on a, on a, on a better level. If he's just one of the most genuinely friendly guys. The guy's brilliant in all his aspects of life. And he might be the best overall DSF player in the world, period. If you consider all the sports.
0: The yeah. The, you know, I, I had him on previously on one of these, like about a month or two ago. And of course all of these are on YouTube. At least most of them our YouTube, not YouTube they're on the podcast feed, but, uh, the card's one is it's, I was I'm always fascinated because he's got you know he's juggling so many different things yeah. he's got kind of a 9 to 5 job I think it's a 9 to 5 job with accounting he's an and
1: right yeah yeah
0: he's got he's got I mean I'm not sure what his hours are but I assume it's he's he's busy enough with that and you know he's got kids he's got a wife he's juggling like 19 different sports he does a ton of content for every yeah. sport yeah. So uh, I'm always super impressed with how, how he makes things work. And he, and he crushes and he makes, makes money, like you said, as well, too. Yeah,
1: he's as good as anybody in every sport. He's
0: just a brilliant guy. And I think when you have
1: that brain capacity uh, and those skills, you have the ability to do all these things and juggle all these things. I couldn't do what he does. I mean, let's be honest. In DFS alone, very few people, if anybody, has, able, has been able to achieve what he's achieved.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's certainly, yeah, he's, he's got to be in the conversation. I'm sure he, may, he might get lost in the shuffle too, because uh, maybe there's like one specialty sport per se, yeah,
1: but he's crushing say, golf right now too. Yeah. You could say, Hey, this guy's better at football. That guy's got better, a better record in baseball. I'm talking overall. I honestly don't think in my opinion, right now I'll top my head. Yeah. STL cards is the best DFS player in the world today. If you're counting every single sport, if there's like a
0: DFS decathlon,
1: Right. He's the guy. Like cheese and baseball, easy, hands down. Yeah. And I know he's great in other sports as well. He's but, crushing eat sports right now, cheese. But a lot of the times he's crushing other sports. He's <laughs> self admittedly, because he reads STL cards as content, as much well his content. But I just mean, if, if we all didn't, couldn't read any content and played every sport,
0: I have a tough time thinking anybody can beat STL cards. I throw awesome out of the conversation too, but – uh Oh, so you're talking about great guys, uh, great guys that you met in the industry, I and mean, this is a great opportunity for you to compliment me for, you know, I'm unprompted at all. I mean, feel free to name other names too. But who were like your, your favorite guys that you've uh, met throughout the years? Obviously, you and I clicked pretty early and got along pretty
1: good, <laughs> and then became great friends. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, if anything, that comes out of DFS, thing. I'm I'm awful uh, happy to be as good of friends as we are, and we're going to carry that into the future, which is really nice. But there's just been. So many great people. You start a job and you end up liking two or three people usually. A couple of people maybe rub you the wrong way or maybe you just don't see eye to eye. And the rest of them are just there. Name that's, that's the those people.
0: That's, that's a more fun conversation. No, I'm
1: saying that's a regular job you would <laughs> think. I've met like hundreds of people. And I don't have a bad thing to say about anybody. It's like I'm trying to be honest, but everybody's been awesome. I mean, it's, just, it's, so, it's so hard because you, you get to these events and there's so many people there and there's so many things going on. You know, you don't get to see him. Like I said, SGO Cards and I have talked a bit, but that's a guy I'd love to hang out with more. Uh, Cheese, I I love Cheese. Cheese is the greatest dude, man. I mean, he's just a lot of fun. He's funny. Again, he loves sports. Not much of a drinker like, you know, like us. So that's why the three of us probably hang a lot. But Cheese is the one guy I'm going to find if I've already met up with you, which I'm sure we probably showed up together. Um, So he's the one guy that I want to hang out with as well because – He's just a great dude. He's a lot of fun. I don't think people get to see all sides of his personality when he's on the air and doing his content. Sometimes you read his content, but I love cheese. Not only is he an absolute stud in DFS and the greatest of all time in baseball,
0: hands down. I don't think anybody compares to him. Uh, crazy he's humble, too. Dude. He's like, you'd never suspect. If you didn't know he was the no. as great as he was, you'd never know.
1: Yeah, he won $8 billion. He's like, yeah, I rebuilt the kitchen with my wife. I, I drive the same car. I mean, that's really like nothing changed at all. He didn't bought ice cream, anybody, extra scoop. Didn't need to brag, you know,
0: uh, you went back. Oh, so you're still working your job, I assume, right? This job you hate. Well, What is this job you, you don't uh, didn't particularly love so much that you're working uh, before? Obviously, you jump in the RG and doing content for DFS.
1: I wouldn't say I hated it. I was I was a, um, a dispatch coordinator for a trucking company. I didn't hate it. It's just a regular job. I mean, it paid well and uh, was doing okay. But at one point, I was making more money playing DFS. Didn't. You know, was starting to dread going to work every day. And when I was making, working my, you know what, off making this money. And in a weekend of football, I made this much money. It was almost like, huh. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to so-called turn pro perhaps, quit my job and try to do this. A bunch of guys were doing it. I was having just as much success as they were close. Uh, It was before the 2013 DFC, DFBC, sorry. And I thought, you know what, I think now's a good time to try to quit. See if this works out for a year. I could always jump back into this field because my resume was good. And I thought, why not try this and try to become a so-called DFS pro and see where it goes. Plus, I had some tickets coming up for the DFBC, which could have resulted in uh, some- So I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump now. So I think the DFBC was in August. I think I quit my job in July to keep playing and, and to see what would happen.
0: What did you win the first year? About 30, 40K, 50K? I'm not really sure how the big the contest was I know you finished in sixth place. Do you remember what it was, I, more or less?
1: I think it was only 7,000.
0: Oh, okay. So, yeah, it, it jumped obviously the next year,
1: unless yeah, it was completely frontloaded. I think I think it was it's it's uh, prize pool wise, it was uh, top loaded, right? Like I know what the year before, beers wanted. I think it was fifty thousand. Beers, might okay. you want it, and then next year, I don't know who won it. I think it was a guy that didn't really play a lot. Kind of disappeared. I, I forget his name, but I think it was like a hundred grand. And then the money drops really quickly. So I think sixth place was only seven grand. The following year, twenty thirteen, when I won it, it was two hundred grand, and then. Cheese a million. 200 grand to a million when cheese hit it. I'm like, really? <laughs> 200 grand to a million the year after me? That was, uh... hey, no complaints. Like I said, you know, not sounds like a
0: complaint. It sounds like a little bit like of a complaint. I shouldn't <laughs>
1: complain. I, I shouldn't complain. Like I always say to you, we leave money on the table some nights and we're bummed out a little bit. And I always say, hey, never complain to winning money. Even on nights when you feel like, yeah, I should have won more. Never complain. But yeah, it would have been nice if I'd have won the first year i hit the million. But
0: uh, but cheese did and that's, that's, we should call it, that's American. That's, that's not loonies and toonies. That's American dollars. That's the other thing. Right now, like for the last few years, the
1: American dollar has been 125, 130 versus Canada, right? Okay. And the year that I won it, 2012, we were almost on par. We were on par because I remember <laughs> basically a Canadian dollar and American dollar were one for one then. And that had been a long time since that happened.
0: And then, of course, that's when I won the American dollars.
1: Again, I'm not complaining.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like a plane. <laughs> it was tax-free, though. There's a nice perk.
1: That's the wonderful thing. Yes, everybody kept saying, how much did you win and how much is taxed? And I went, nothing, no tax. It's considered lottery winnings here in Canada. And it was tax-free, so I, I can't complain about
0: that. So the Pepsi household had four, uh, four tickets to the, the next live file the next year. You had a couple in the bank and you said, screw it, I'm going I'm to quit my regular job and I don't know. That was just you calling your shot. That's you pointing the center field. Like you just, you just know you're going to win this thing. Uh, take me through. Now you've had, you had the experience of, of the first, you know, the first live final you went to, you finished sixth. Okay. Uh, now you're going back. You got the four tickets in the household. Uh, do we have a certain strategy? Just you, somehow you just knew, you had an inclination Devin Masaraka was going to hit three yeah. homers for you. Well,
1: the whole quitting the job thing had nothing to do with me expecting to win big money. Like I knew with four tickets that, I think they were 5,000 or 6,000 was the last, you know, like they went and kind of At like worst. Yeah. Worst case scenario, if you finished the last four seats or last four places, sorry, you got six great. So I had, you know, I would not won a couple of seats as you'd mentioned. So I wasn't really counting on that. I just, I was having, I was having, you know, a lot of success in cash games and, and uh, money was good. So I thought I could make as much doing this. So it was more about that than the bonus tournaments or, or DFC finals. But um yeah. So take it through that. I go there, you know, you know what to expect this time, right? So, you know, you get there and um, you, you recognize some people, you know what to expect. At that point, I, I started, I joined Grinders. was listening to the Dan Box podcast. And he was actually talking about me, which to me was like, wow, he knows who I am. This is crazy. So <laughs> he had reached out and, and, and asked if he could interview me when I got there. So I was excited about meeting Dan. It was, it was a big deal. And some of the other players I'd started to get to recognize, you get to know the guys or players and stuff. So when you get there, there's a few guys I wanted to meet. And again, SQL cards was there. And like I said, he was, he was just a great dude in general. Just meeting him was real cool. And um, yeah, but the one thing I thought you need to be more prepared. I wasn't as prepared as I should have been lock yourself in the room the night before, for a couple hours uh, before lock, make sure you've looked at every lineup. You've read everything. Don't, you know, don't really lock into certain players. Have Have an idea, have a strategy, but Be open because now you know how lineups change and everything gets affected. And whereas I just kind of winged it the year before that, right? So that was more the plan like, focus this is life changing money. If you can have success here today, don't screw it up. And it was almost to the point where I, the first couple of days I didn't enjoy them as much as I should have mm-hmm. because I couldn't stop my brain from working with lineups and different things. And a lot of pressure there because I felt like I couldn't fail. This was a big deal and I had to do this right because it's a great opportunity. And I mean, I just for the last few weeks even, but especially the last couple of days leading up, everybody's partying in Vegas and having fun. And I just couldn't get into my head, man. I just wanted to have the event over so I could relax and enjoy, right? But uh yeah, I, I literally sat at night was in my room just strategizing with my buddy Sean, who also won a ticket that year actually. Which is but, crazy. And that me. was
0: it wasn't that something I, I I feel like I make up combining stories, but he wanted to take it like not knowing him or I guess he knew because like he found out what you were the the previous year. He's aware of what's going on and right, is that the work out that he was yeah, it's amazing. All uh, so the tickets.
1: Right. I got the wife there He's ever been to Vegas and my mother come down too, which is really nice. And my buddy, Sean, who isn't my plus one wins his own seat anyway. And he's there with his wife because he brings her as a plus one. So it's almost like a family reunion and uh, made the experience even better.
0: Yeah. So yourself, you're, you're strategizing with Sean, uh, you're figuring out your lineups, uh, kind of make things work there. Uh, I, somehow you ended up planning on a uh, devil. I think on pretty much all your lineups have done all your lineups. And that also at the time you had to have a catcher the way Fandell right. was uh, structured, It wasn't right. a utility spot, but a catcher was something you had to have for sure. Um, like he bangs out one home run. You're a static. Uh, he, I, was he heavily owned? I'm guessing he wasn't because he wasn't, or was is just like a super cheap punt. Is that what he was? Yeah.
1: So I actually locked into, I think four players on all four lineups. I mean, I just felt like their value was too good for the matchup to get off and A lot of guys later on told me that was crazy. And looking back on I thought, if I'd have finished 27 through 30, I'd have probably been pretty disappointed that I did it the way I did it. But I wasn't thinking, hey, I'm going all in and trying to finish first, second, third. I was just locked like Howie Kendrick at $2,400 at second base <laughs> versus the lefty. That's just too good to pass up on hitting in the two hole with Trout behind him. You know? um, Johnny Peralta at $2,400 at shortstop facing a lefty. Was just too cheap to pass up. You Sal know, H. In Cannon Yards versus a Baltimore or lefty. Might have been Wade Miley or something like that. So there were things like that that I felt like. I think there was three players or four that I locked into on every team. Uh, Devin Meseracco. I'm a big fan of punting, or at least was back then, punting, catcher with power. Meseracco is a guy I liked. It's not like I was in love with him and, and foresaw these three home runs coming. He was $2,100. And the next catcher I think I liked with power was like 26 or 27. So Mazzarocco, Lockpoint, with all those value guys, <laughs> Rota, Kendrick, Mazzarocco, then build your four different lineups from here. That's kind of where I was. Now my fourth lineup was hundred dollars short. A catcher of 2100. It went to J.P. and C.D.F. Had I had the hundred dollars,
0: I would have had again. I went one, two, three, four. To be honest. JP Aaron Sibia, uh, as a Blue Jay fan, you probably were not ecstatic for roster JP Aaron Sibia. The worst defensive catcher I've ever seen. But they're Jeter of catchers. Is that what you're trying to say?
1: Oh no, let's not go there. You're the one saying that about Jeter.
0: <laughs> a little
1: too much this- credit for Jeter. Still a great ball player. I just JP Aaron CB used to drop throws from the outfield on plays, <laughs> the plate where the guy was quit. He just dropped the ball. One hopper from right field from Batista. He's out by two feet. No, Aaron Cebu drops it like consistently just a terrible defensive
0: catch and anyway, it worked for me that day too Dean. so yeah i remember i was as like a poor man's like a, a poor man's mike zanino is kind of the way i remember jp Aaron yeah Zinia. he had some pop, Yeah, he had some power he struck out a ton terrible yeah. batting average what it's worth uh but probably crushed bp i would imagine he was great at bp <laughs> yes but you know you don't get any fantasy points for that uh when it's all coming into fruition uh you know when you're all your all your lineups are lining up and I know we, we've talked previously a lot. We've exhausted that conversation about how you're there before lineups and yada, yada, yada yourself in the Pepsi household. Uh, we've discussed that, but if nothing else, it's super, super impressive that your house, you had four live final seats, which is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. That, that, that was pretty awesome. Um, but it's all, uh, you know, coming to fruition and like you see yourself basically, are you on the podium all across the board? One, two, three, what, what are we at? One, two, three, six, something like that. Yeah.
1: How, do how do you finish? finish? It was one, two, three, seven. My buddy Sean was six. So we're all sat together having a pretty good afternoon. It, it happened really <laughs> fast early. Like we, we had, uh, Grinders had rented out an entire bar at the Bellagio. So the whole sports bar was ours. You know, so SDL cards, a whole bunch of us were all there. Uh, some of the bigger names. And, and I'm in my own little group here. And in between that, we're doing interviews. So Dan's interviewing some people. How are you doing so far today? Hey, what's your background? We're doing things like that. Free food. Just a great show by Fanduel fan doing Grinders. And um, pretty early on, I, I jumped out to the lead, and my top three lineups just kind of stayed there most of the day. Peralta homers in the first inning. Masarocco um, homers, obviously, his first three bats. at-bats. Um, you know, I had McCutcheon in one lineup. He has a big day. I had somebody else in another lineup, and he homered. Like, early on, I jumped out, and I kind of just was way ahead for a while and stayed there until a late Angel stack started to scare me, and even though I had pieces of that. I had Kendrick in all my lineups. Yeah, But other people had more players, so that scared me to the end there. But In general, it wasn't – I mean, it wasn't a real sweat. Like, I felt pretty comfortable. I remember at one point Dan interviewed me maybe halfway through the day, and I had a pretty big lead, and we're kind of breaking down all the numbers and at-bats. He's going like, dude, I don't know if anybody's going to catch you. I'm going, hey, I don't want to say anything, but I feel really good. And um, he said at one point, what are you winning right now? And I just did the math, and I went, you know, it's pretty crazy. About a half a mil, more or less? No, it was – no, because it was 200 for first, and it dropped significantly, right? Maybe okay. So I think I won three three and change. Yeah. Actually, U.S., it was like 293, I think. And Canadian was like
0: 303 or something, I think. How do you even allow him to interview you in the middle? Like, I mean, he could have been a mush. I mean, if you believe in jinxes and things like that. <laughs> that was hard. Yeah, I missed Devin Maseraco's last
1: two home runs just because like, – <laughs> Well, who hit that? Oh, Masaraco's coming. Oh, that was Masuraco? Yeah. Because so much is going on. You got all the games, yeah. all the people you're talking to, you're doing a couple different interviews. There's a lot going on. So I missed a lot of my big moments because you're not know, by yourself only watching three games,
0: you know? Yeah. So um, what are we, uh, I, I know this, I think I know the answer to this. What do we, what do we do with the money? What do we do with the winnings? Well, I mean, I was poor growing up, so I never had money. I wasn't used
1: to having money. So um, I just recently bought a house, and uh, I paid the loan off. So being debt-free was very nice. Um, my wife wanted to travel, so I'm like, hey, we got some money. Let's do some travel. So that got the travel bug going a little bit. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I really didn't do crazy. We went, on, we went on a few trips, Costa Rica, um, Jamaica. did a few trips like that, Philippines. And um, you know, I started planning some higher stakes because I had the money to do so and felt like you know, I could do well there. So I started entering some more uh, higher state tournaments and and kind of up to play a little bit. But uh, aside from that, nothing really changed much in my life. I started to save the money that I was paying for the mortgage and uh, desperately wanted to buy a new car. But I had a Honda Civic. And we know they're a beast. They last forever. <laughs> it's only like five years old or something. I'm like, I just wanted to buy a, a Lexus or a BMW and put a system in it and just I wanted to do that because I didn't come for money. And I wanted to have yeah. something that was like, but I thought it's a waste of money. It's unnecessary. You got a car that works. I'm not a real flashy guy in general. So I, I didn't really go crazy. Paid the mortgage
0: off and was very happy to do that. Teenage Pepsi wanted a Lexus and wanted a system and wanted to blast that out, you know, just have a good time because you, yes. I never had that either. That, that, that wasn't my lifestyle either. I, I didn't have the money for it either. That wasn't my how I grew up. But the, yeah, uh, and I'm sure you saw other people having at it in good times for that for sure um but yeah totally unsexy nothing sexy about that pepsi you just you're paying off the house but it's smart <laughs> it's, well, it's and probably. you know yeah well and then you you start working for rg immediately after more or less after is to doing a baseball and hockey content yeah
1: so i don't remember how, how close to that after that i mean like i said dan i've been talking i'd met cam as well and, and cameron mcnorm those guys that don't know him and i'd met um you know a few of the the big shots in, in rg there and uh um they were talking to me a little bit, and then I, I think Cam actually approached me and said, hey, we'd be interested. Oh, Cal, Mr. Cal Spears, I think, actually might have said to me, hey, you know, jumped into cab with me. I think one day going somewhere and started talking about, you know, rotor grinders I said, yeah, yeah, I'm aware of it. I've been reading some of it. You know, I'm a big fan. And he said, would you like to come on and do some content? Of course, at that time, I just quit my job, and I was going to do DFS. Yeah. Anyway, I'm like, this is the perfect storm, right? So I said, yeah, I'd definitely be interested. And uh, believe it or not, I started off in football doing the grind down
0: before I moved to it's baseball amazing. and
1: eventually hockey content. Yeah.
0: that's a, You're a big Steeler fan. Did that affect your content? Uh, did you talk up the Steelers a bunch? <laughs> no.
1: I mean, I mean, you know, those in DFS, but you, you got to bet with your brain, not with your heart. I mean, I rarely touch the Blue Jays just because of that situation. I'm a Blue Jays fan, but I got no problem taking the pitcher against them and cheering for them when it comes to money. I mean, as much as I'm a Blue Jays fan, it's money first. If I can win a lot of money because I got the pitcher against the Jays, I'm cheering for all the Jays to strike out, but, um,
0: yeah, so
1: you gotta, you gotta bet smart. This is, it's, uh, you know, talking a dollar or two and the Jays are in the world series. I'm okay losing some money for them to win it, but regular, regular season game and the Jays are not a contender. Then I'm definitely cheering for me over my team.
0: How did you balance, uh, building DFS lineups versus, uh, content, like the doing both the same time? Like we talked about how does cards do it? How do you do it? Yeah.
1: Well, over time, it got more and more difficult because as my role grew with rotor grinders, um, eventually I faded off of football, became baseball full-time, hockey full-time, so I could do, you know, baseball in the summers, hockey in the winters, and concentrate just on those two sports. And the more and more you do it, the less you end up playing. And it's not by choice. It's just that I thought, hey, you know, eight or nine hours of my job a day was tough. I'll go to do my content, three or four hours of work. I'm done. It's half days. It's not like that because you start looking the like night before you dig in the morning, things change throughout the day. You're doing all kinds of research. I'm spending more time doing research and content than I was in my regular job, but at least I love this. Yeah. But you spend so much time doing that. And of course the lineups don't come out till later on. So you, you finalize a lot of your product around two o'clock Eastern. You're, you're maybe making some changes till you know, three, four five with whatever you're doing content wise. You're fixing this guy's on out. You're, you're changing your rankings. Maybe you're going on the air that night. Cause you and I got a show, And then you get off the air and some of the lineups have just come out. There's no time to have already built 40 or 50 lineups. You can't change them now. So it became more difficult. And also, too, I was more interested in having a good show and putting good content and being right and and teaching people than I was in me winning at this point because your reputation is on the line now. So, you know, I obviously wanted the success and you want to win money. But I was, you know, that was all fine, but I wanted to be credible and I wanted to put out great content. And and again, like I said, you know, you're, uh, you know, your pride's on the line here and your integrity. So you want to put out great stuff. So it just, it took away from me. So the more I worked for RG and the more, more content I did, the more my roles grew, the less I played because you just didn't have the time. So instead of playing thousands a night, you got, you got cut back to maybe, you know, 500 to 1,000 nights to two or 3,000 nights, depending on what you're playing, right? So it was just harder to track it at that point. I mean, I don't regret it. I loved yeah. it. And you're getting a guaranteed salary to write DFS content. It's the best job in the world. There's no complaining here. But, yeah, my playing did slow down. It does change things, as you know.
0: Yeah, time is a commodity. Time management and what you're prioritizing is important. And I mean, Pepsi, I'm sure you know, obviously, optimizers are out there. RG's got an optimizer as well as far as lineup builder. Uh, But I'm pretty sure you're kind of like me where I I don't fully reject them, but I personally like to hand-build lineups. I think you like to hand-build your lineups as well too. So you're not somebody – tell me if I'm wrong – that would like to build, you know, 50 lineups through an optimizer. I don't think you embrace that.
1: No, I never did it. And I I don't – I mean, it's fine. I mean, if guys do that, throw 200 lineups and 10% of this guy, 30 of that guy, and just kind of whatever happens, happens, it's a great strategy. But for me, I don't build that many lineups, and I'm old school. I want to build it. I want to look at the lineup. I want to tweak it based on my player pool that day, and I'm more comfortable with that. I rarely maxed out tournaments. I basically would go, okay, big tournament tonight, big money in the line here. Man, I'm going to throw three or four or five or six entries in here. That was kind of my limit because I fell in love with players or stacks, like the DFBC where I just kind of locked into certain guys, and I don't play guys just in case. So I kind of lock into my thing. I'm all in. I'm an all in or all in kind of guy. So when I had good nights, I had monster nights. And when I had bad nights, they're awful. But, um, yeah, I like to hand-make my lineups. I like to know that I built those. You know, I rarely played more than eight. It was more, mostly around three or four or five in terms of tournaments. But I spent a lot of – I would
0: play as much cash usually as I could if I loved the night. Uh, favorite teams, Pepsi, the Blue Jays, the, the Maple Leafs, right? Yeah, I'm a Toronto guy. So,
1: I mean, growing up actually, getting away from going to hockey a little bit, getting away from baseball, I was a huge Edmonton Oilers fan. And I don't know why as a kid – I guess because the Leafs were so bad they never made the playoffs so I love Grant Feuer, Wayne Gretzky, those Oilers dynasty teams huge but as I get older of course the Leafs are always on you fall in love with your home team so Leafs, Jays uh, to, to a smaller extent Raptors I'm not a big NBA guy although I'm starting to come around the last few years and I did jump on the bandwagon for the Raptors to <laughs> run I got on early though you know and I mean I didn't get on in the finals I got on early but uh I really enjoyed the run and of course traveling around the world, a lot of people playing basketball everywhere, so I started playing some more and then you watched the Michael Jordan last dance special i I become a bigger basketball fan. I think i 'm going to maybe play a little more going forward and get a little more involved and and keep playing basketball in the Philippines,
0: for example that 's like the number one sport there, so um, I played quite a bit when I was there, and I enjoyed it yeah, so a couple things that you hit on that uh, the RG basketball game, you were a champion. I believe because Noto carried you, if I'm not mistaken, he was the Kawhi, and yeah. you were yeah like the 12th man off the bench. That that you, you were scrappy. Never basketball. i would never played
1: basketball in my life, and Notorious was on my team, and uh, thank God he was. I feel like the worst, the worst player on the Chicago Bulls, or the worst player on the uh, Gretzky-led Oilers that won a championship.
0: You're like Bill Wennington or Luke Longley or somebody like that. But uh, hey, it, it, W. That's all it that matters. You get the W there. Uh, you mentioned the Philippines, and I was we mentioned that around the year. Uh, early early in this podcast that we were just going back to the philippines and you took a break last year and i don't know if you're uh you know you've you've spent your money well as far as you know taking down your big tournaments obviously just the fs monies over the years and just working for rg and all sorts of things you've invested money wisely Uh, is pepsi retired are we in kind of a a holding pattern of some sort uh you went over to the philippines and you did a lot of charity work over there too with kids uh you know just are we retired do we don't know is it kind of limbo we'll see and talk to me about the Philippines, man. Because just talking about you, some stories over there, and some of the cool things you're doing. Uh, I think it's worth uh, sharing with the people. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, yeah,
1: I, I don't know. I mean, DFS has been very good to me. I, I'm very thankful to have found DFS and, and hit it at the at the peak when it was blowing up, and I, I, you know, obviously it allowed me to be successful and um, and have some extra money to to possibly, yeah, retire early if I'm going to do. That. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yet if I'm retired, I took six months off in the winter, um, to travel. And as you mentioned, went over to the Philippines It's some charity work there with, uh, kids groups and, and church groups and things like that. And, uh, loved every minute of it, uh, so much so that I actually built a house there. So that's going to be my winter home for at least a few months as I get away from the cold winters here in, uh, in Toronto. But, uh, you got want- a couch
0: for me if I want to crash? I have
1: a very nice place there if you want to crash. Yes. just <laughs> being built now as we speak. So when I go back, so, um, yeah, I mean, um, I like said, DFS has been very good to me. I invested into my house, which worked out really well for me as well, which I recently sold in order to kind of figure out my next chapter in life here. And, uh, I, I think the Philippines will be a big part of that. And I've got a friend over there who, who does a lot of good charity work and, and, uh, with the youth camps and the, and the kids groups at church and stuff. And it's just, uh, there's a lot of sad things going on in the world. And and I'm a big fan of Ellen. And I always wanted to be the guy. Imagine being Ellen and be able to change lives and help people in need and help good people. I've always wanted to do that. I thought that would be amazing. I'm certainly not doing that on an Ellen scale. But when you get into some of these third world countries, it doesn't take much. Actually, it probably doesn't take much in the country you're in, in certain pockets, um, to change somebody's life or to help somebody. And I really want to be a part of that going forward. And I had the opportunity to do that with my friend. Uh, this past winter and I want to do it on a bigger scale going forward which is why I bought a place there I'm going to go back I'm going to continue to do things and I'm going to try to build something there Um, just 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 to help the youth and the kids and and really anyway we do we did a lot of things for homeless people as well it's not just about helping the kids it was basically anybody in need and uh,
0: the most rewarding thing I've ever done by far yeah I I always thought that was super awesome and I didn't want to yeah I wanted to bring it up because I know you're kind of modest it. you don't really talk about it so often but I think that's so cool that you're doing that and the, the few times I got a chance to talk to you while you're over there in the Philippines, both times or several times, you're always like, yeah, I'm in the middle of buying this or I'm in the middle of buying that or I'm buying a bunch of toys for the kids. Or what did you do today? We were out with a bunch of kids playing, you know, just you just throw out a bunch of uh, sports equipment and say, let's have that. And you just like play games with the kids. And like you say, some places just don't have what you think, like, uh, I don't know, a Frisbee or a, well, you tell me, uh, what are the uh, what, what are you throwing out there on the beach everybody to play with?
1: Yeah, so when we are on the beach, then I, I brought, I shipped about, uh, I think, five boxes to the Philippines, just full of different things, uh, balls, soccer balls, uh, frisbees, baseball bats, um, toys, just all kinds of floating devices and things. So when I got to the beaches and various places, we are hitting, you know, every kid, I made sure it's some toy to play with. And we went into a lot of the poorer areas, too, where kids basically had nothing. You know, they don't have a toy at all. And, and the parents basically buy rice or a little bit of food, and that's where the money goes. And some of these kids parents can't afford to put them in school even, which is, which is really sad. Every kid should have an opportunity to have an education. Um, so yeah, on the beach and stuff, you know, I just hand out toys and playing with kids and, and teaching them baseball because of course I love it. Right. So leaving baseball bats and balls there. And again, soccer balls, frisbees are easy for everybody to play basketballs. We built a few basketball nets for certain areas that, um, you know, couldn't afford one, or maybe they had one, but, um, the cement in the area is all kind of broken up. Maybe the net's falling apart. So, We put some money into that and kind of pave an area, put up a basketball net, give them a couple balls. And then, you know, we play with them for a few days and move on to the next town sort of thing. And uh, and tried to make a difference in their lives and help them and um, put them in a position to enjoy life. They're kids. They should be having fun. And
0: and uh, anything you can do to help somebody in that situation, you know, you should be doing it. I'm happy to do it. That's awesome stuff, Pepsi. And you're also uh, for holidays. You were doing like care packages. I don't know why in my head I want to say Valentine's Day. (laughs) <laughs> I don't, is that, is that correct? Or is that not correct? I probably have the wrong holiday. Yeah. No, like that you bought suck. a bunch of chocolate for, uh, you know, right. So it was
1: Christmas. And again, it's the second time I've been away from my family. I love Christmas, you know, and to me Christmas is all giving and I don't have any young kids in my life anymore. So, and everybody's kind of grown up. So it kind of loses some of its luster Christmas, but I thought if I'm going to be away from my family, I'm going to be over here. I have to do something for Christmas. So we, my friend and I were trying to figure out the best way to, um, you know to do that to make the money go as far as it can so we bought as many toys as we could and we made these as you said care packages so i, I went to the store and i grabbed like packages and we filled them with local chocolate so it was pretty cheap right and you know packages like yay big little square container and we wrapped them all so kids had something to unwrap and i just walked around for three days uh christmas eve christmas day and boxing day just basically saying merry christmas you know people are thinking about you and um you know um, hope you're doing better and things we just talked to homeless people to kids in certain areas and you know depending on who it was you know maybe gave some food out or gave some blankets out or or the chocolate packages. mostly toys to kids because again a lot of kids don't get toys if their parents have money they buy food so for them to get a uh, any kind of toy is just a shock like getting a girl a barbie you know was amazing getting a kid a dinky car Th- these are things they don't normally have so just seeing smiles on faces and having my friend record them and all of us taking turns kind of walk around doing this uh, was an amazing experience. It really was. And uh, I'm looking to do it even bigger and better on on a scale soon. I'm trying to figure out ways to do that, but uh, I may actually soon Dean, and I'll let you know if that happens. I may be taking even some, maybe setting something up where I can take donations and stuff and start putting up videos to try to encourage people to, to help do it. And I think it's a good idea too. If if people see where their money's going
0: and see the results of things, it's uh, it might be good. So in the future, I might be doing something like that. That would be that would be pretty awesome, Pepsi. Pepsi, and then that, that's a uh, really—I'm sure it's incredibly rewarding. Just like you said, simple thing, simple gestures, and like just a smile on somebody's face is uh, you know—that you're making their day, uh, and it's a little gesture, uh, big, big gestures, little gestures, all that. Uh, but and it's—you know—it's something you can do. You're in the position to do it, and you do it, and it's pretty awesome. But uh, I pulled up your Twitter, and I'm like, oh, maybe you'll tweet it out, like uh, you know. But you're—you're you're the worst Twitter person in the world. You're terrible at Twitter, despite the fact that you have over seven thousand followers.
1: You How haven't tweeted followers? since
0: like. Over 7,000. That's egregious. You haven't tweeted since like 1972 or something like that. But uh, I, honestly, I can't find the last original tweet. Uh, your last original tweet was uh, in reference to the Raptors winning the title on June thirteenth, two 2019. So there you go. Wow. We the champs. Because, of course, we win and they lost. You attached yeah. yourself to a winner. Yeah, we so I became we. a bandwagon we pretty quickly there. Um. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't I don't love social media, to be honest. I, I only joined Twitter because of the RG platform, like to promote our shows and to sure. do various things. I'm not a guy that I don't need that attention. I don't care for a lot of it sometimes. So I mean, I'm happy to answer somebody and help them out. But I'm not, I'm just not the guy that needs to be involved in social media and have all that attention. It's just not for me. I want to, I want to play my sports, live my life. And
0: that's it. You know, I don't need that. Yeah, I mean you, you come off with of this, this modest guy, but never pre-show you were insisting, hey, let me show off the FanDuel belt that I have. The people want to see it. I, I have to show them. Like, look at this belt. I can hold it up. Um, it fits around my waist. Was this was that not the conversation we had? No, I don't think so. I think this is you throwing the bus again. Hey, if you're gonna have you on, Patsy, so you've <laughs> got to get the, ring, the
1: belt out. I'm like, I don't know where those are. You got three hours, go find them. <laughs> is it For next to The dragon
0: out or no? Do you have it or no?
1: I have it. It's even got <laughs> dust on it still to prove
0: that uh <laughs> It doesn't sit anywhere here, but I got it for you. I know I wouldn't disappoint you. There it is. I just realized something. You have a virtual background, your Canadian flag, oh. and you just, oh, yeah. disappeared. You just disappeared holding that belt. It doesn't look very good. No. <laughs> Devin's like, what is going on here? We're screwing up with the feet or whatever, but I promise you that is a, your FanDuel yeah. championship belt. Uh, Pepsi, I'm keeping you for a while, but I still have some you, – you got, you got a few more minutes, right? You can hang out? Yeah, I'm maybe retired possibly, so i get got all the time in the world. Don't retire. I, I mean, I want you to keep, well, if nothing else, you're going to still play DFS to some degree. Oh, you're talking about maybe from a content perspective, possibly we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I love DFS. I'm going to keep playing. Maybe on a smaller scale, but I'm still going to watch the games. and still going
1: to play. I even try to do it over in the Philippines, which I don't even know if it's legal there really, but I was, able to, <laughs> I anyway, maybe I shouldn't be saying that, but probably not. I don't know. I still love playing. I'm going to keep playing, but maybe, maybe my working days are done. Maybe I'm going to relax in Canada, play some baseball, play some DFS and, Winter comes, head to the Philippines and uh, enjoy the sun and and do my work over there and enjoy uh, all the charitable things we're doing there. And uh, that that could be a good life. So I think that's where I'm leaning. But uh, I love grinders; They've been wonderful to me. So I'm certainly not saying that I wouldn't be interested in something. But um, yeah, we'll have to see what happens.
0: I hope you stick around, but if that, it's the cost of like helping out, you got to help kids out too. You got to do both. You got to figure that out because we can't have you abandon that. And that's obviously a, that's something I'd be happy to support. Pepsi. Once you set that up, that'd be amazing. And I'm sure a lot of people out there listening would be happy to support it as well. Uh, some of your favorites, uh, favorite athlete, athlete as a kid, athlete as an adult. Uh,
1: Tony Fernandez is probably the first guy I fell in love with as a, as a fellow shortstop. I love Tony Fernandez. I think that's the shortstop right there, that doesn't get the credit he deserves <laughs> defensively. Incredible. I think he made six errors. In all of 1985, maybe it was. Um, played in a good few good teams, but Fernandez was a guy I think was really underrated. Of course, I could be a little biased because I was pretty young watching Tony Fernandez, so yeah. Uh, later on, Roberto Alomar, I tried to be Roberto Alomar. I mean, defensively, he was a wizard and you know, he kind of did it all, stealing bases, hit for power, average. I, I tried to try to emulate myself after Mr. Alomar, but uh, those are probably my two fans. And you know, Ricky Henderson, which is kind of strange being a Blue Jays fan, but <laughs> Ricky Henderson, I mean. I was a massive Ricky Henderson fan. I, I mean, I'm not, I don't really love the arrogant, cocky guys, but there's the odd guy that comes in there that kind of backs it up that I guess I'm okay with. Like, I don't want to be Ricky, but I kind of love watching Ricky. It's just, yeah. But Do I Do you know say, the Ricky
0: Henderson story of Heaven uh, John Ollerud? Are you aware of the yep. story? Okay. Yeah, I read the Ricky bi- biography, and there's a lot of
1: good stories of Ricky being Ricky, but. Uh, I was long before Manny being Manny, by the way, but uh, <laughs> yeah, funny enough, being a Jays fan growing up, I shouldn't love Ricky Henderson, but I do. I'm a baseball fan, and my favorite moment of all time in baseball, funny enough, normally you would guess what, Dean? As a Blue Jays fan, my favorite moment should be... It should be the Joe Carter homer. Right. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your yeah. life, which was unbelievable. Don't get me wrong. When your team wins the World Series, although I, I feel like I was... He's still too young to appreciate everything. Watching your team do it now as a, as a grown man, I think it's just it's, it's just much more rewarding. But anyway, that should be my favorite moment. But because I'm a baseball fan first, the Kirk Gibson <laughs> at the locker room home run against Accuracy in the 88 World Series, that's my favorite home run of all time. And I never want to see the Dodgers win another World Series. I'm not a Dodgers or a Yankee guy for some reason. There's two teams that I'm not cheering for. I'll say it nicely. It's usually them, not always. <laughs> depends on the players, but that Kirk Gibson moment to me just gives me chills. Watching that, and that is the moment I've seen more than any other moment in baseball. Despite loving a team and having your favorite team hit a walk off home run to win it, which is strange, right?
0: Yeah, it, it's strange for sure. Uh, and that I, I remember watching that when I was a kid. I remember watching that home run live, of course, against Eckersley, who was like, you know, Eckers is in the game. It's over. Forget it. Right. Just go to bed. You know. And, of course, Kirk Gibson was hobbling. That was his only at-bat of the series. That was game one. Uh, he came out of the locker room, and he couldn't move. Like, like, if he if he hit the ball in the gap, he'd probably barely get a single. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he, he just banged one out. And, of course, everybody remembers, like, when he's, we're doing the visual with the, the arms and, like, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even uh, Ben Scully. Now the only question is, can he get around the base pass unassisted? Yeah, Ben was the best, too. <laughs> but um, he also
1: said, as he scanned the Dodger dugout, he says, and you, as you'll notice, their MVP, their leader, Kurt Gibson, will not be in the game tonight. And apparently he was in the locker room and yeah. iced it up. And it told him he's not playing. He heard that and went, what? Don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and just decided he had one good swing in him. I remember, It reminds me of uh, the 86 Mets where I think with basically Boston was like, you know, basically we're about to put them out. And was it Kevin Mitchell? It was just like hanging out, drinking in the dugout, supposedly, like just having a post-game drink. And that's what those guys did. Uh, and I think he had, they had called on the pinch hit. And I think did that trigger the um... – the comeback, I don't recall, but well, they I remember I Kevin Mitchell sure. story. Yeah, was it was that- Mitchell got a hit. Ray Knight, Mitchell,
1: and Carter all got hits, and I remember to a man them all saying, I wasn't going to be the last out. That was kind of the thing. They didn't think they were coming back to win that game and the World Series. They were just like, I'm not going down to be the last guy out here. And they all kind of got two out hits with nobody on base. And um, I don't know about the Mitchell drinking thing, but I remember that was – I think it was Knight, Carter, Mitchell, and then, of course, we you know what Mookie Wilson did, obviously.
0: Yeah, well, that whole thing is wild because the, the score was tied, by the way, on a wild pitch before the Buckner thing. Yeah, it was Why a is everybody str- angry at Buckner? The score was tied. Like,
1: whatever. Got the poor Billy Buckner had a great career. Maybe even a Hall of Famer. Is he in the Hall of Fame? No, fringe. Like close, right? He was, like, almost kind of. I think he was in the years. fringe. I mean, we well, had great years with the Dodgers, too, and all we remember is that. That's too bad. But you know what? That's, a, that's just poor coaching. He <laughs> was a defensive replacement always, and they left him on the field to celebrate. You don't do that, man. That comes back to haunt you.
0: The old also, game
1: ball too. Remember the coach,
0: the manager comes out and gives the guy the game ball? Things uh, like that. And you don't give a team a reason, man. It's like Dan Bach coming up to a live final and telling you it's, it's over. Congratulations in the middle yeah. of it.
1: <laughs> he didn't say that. He just mentioned I had a pretty good lead, man. You look like you're in good shape. And I'm like, don't say that.
0: <laughs> so, And also, the only thing I remember about that 86 World Series, I don't know why I'm harping on it, but uh, it was in Shea in New York. And it said on the screen, on the big screen, congratulations world series champions, Boston Red Sox. They flashed it on the screen temporarily in the middle of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Red
1: Sox jumped up like what? Five,
0: two or four, one or something the next night too, before blowing that lead. they were up a few runs even in game seven. It's probably Calvin Chiraldi's fault. I don't know why. I just assume that's who it is. I could be wrong. Um, Do you have a favorite – you thought a favorite moment in sports, but what about, like, at the game, physically at the game? Is there a, is there a moment you can think of? Uh, any sport, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be a big game, Just something cool you've seen?
1: Yeah, um, a couple things. Uh, again, as a Blue Jays fan, Skydome, I was a kid. Uh, always had see, so I Always said seats. I a ton of games as a kid. Uh, Glenn Allen Hill, the Spider-Man. Oh. He, I mean, he hit a ball. I was in the very up, the upper deck, like Jose Canseco territory, sitting there watching BP with a buddy of mine. And a ball went just to my left. You know, a bunch of kids chased it. My friend turned to look. My friend, Sean, same friend. And I turned with him to look. And I moved my arm. I was sitting in the seat like this. Yeah. Off the seat to look at these kids chasing a ball. And Glen Ellen Hill shattered my, um, what do you call that? Like the the arm uh, brace of the seat. Hitting oh, wow. a ball Like that's 500 feet where we were. Like the other ball that was up here was like bouncing up here. This ball would have killed me if I was looking at it. So – that was one where Glenn Allen Hill hit some bombs. But um, I was at the AOCS, the Jays beat Oakland in 92, which is pretty crazy. Walking around the city high-fiving people. As a, as a teenager, I was there. And um, actually, I might have been like 12 at that point. And the other thing I remember more recently, but I think everybody knows, uh, Jose Batiste, the home run over Texas with the bat flip. You were there? He hit me, hit that ball with three rows below me. Sean, I, again, Sean had uh, good t- ticket packs there. So he got me seats for that one. And, um, yeah, we were there. He hit it. Maybe,
0: maybe it fell in the section just below us or a few rows just
1: below us in that game with the, with the flip. We well, the thing
0: is the it, what led up to that, if I remember correctly, Pepsi, and I'm sure you remember and I don't, uh, wasn't it like three or four like, consecutive errors in a row? Yeah. Uh, by, by Texas? A row. Say it again. Yeah. Andrews made at least two. Yeah. There might've been three errors, but there's at least two in a row by Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> It's so wild you be a Glen Allen Hill, by the way, because he threw – I, I was going to say he threw a foul ball to me. He threw a ball to me while I was in the stand. So, that's just – we both have a Glen Allen Hill story. How about that?
1: <laughs> yeah, thankfully he didn't kill me. But he I – mean, that was the guy that – there's always those guys that you're like, why didn't you develop into a better player? But uh, Glen Allen Hill, Matt, and BP, and in some of those early years in Toronto, he showed the potential of 50 home runs.
0: And he had some monster shots but never really developed. I don't know, but I'm going to guess he had like that Pedro Serrano disease. So I'm going to guess the breaker yeah. is what got him. Yeah. Just going to guess. But he didn't really know why he
1: fell apart, though. But yeah,
0: uh, your your father was a DJ. Uh, your father was a DJ. So give me uh give me your favorite band all time.
1: <laughs> yeah. So when your father's a DJ, you got access to music from the fifties up in every genre, whether you like it or not. So I'm pretty much aware of every hit song, probably from the fifties up. So became a huge music fan. Favorite band ever all time got to be the Beatles.
0: Okay, I was gonna say Beatles or Stones, but that's it. Beatles favorite yeah. Beatles song. There's a correct answer, by the way. I think there's a correct answer. Okay, so come together. If it's a little bit harder, and if it's gonna be soft, it's let it be. I like a day in the life. I'm not, you're not wrong, but I like day in the life. I like. I'm a sucker for that one. No, it's. I mean, there's no bad. Is there a bad Beatles song? Really? Come on. I'm sure there. Yellow submarines. I guess stories the yeah. popular ones. There eh. are some. So- there are some songs that I will skip. Even yes. What is the first CD you bought? Oh
1: man! Uh, first CD I bought,
0: or first record? Do you remember buying a record?
1: I never bought records because my dad was a DJ, right? So he had to uh. have everything. So I would make mixtapes from his records, but I never bought one. I was probably too young to buy records. CD, I was like twelve, and I bought. Well, I I didn't buy it. I got it for Christmas. Poison, open up and say all live. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I got two of them that year. I'm trying to remember the second one. <laughs> I remember that one. I think you I got like one. Rat. No, no, never had red. You know what it was a double disc. That's what I'm thinking of, and I think the other one was eventually. It was uh, um, Aerosmith big ones. I think okay. was the other one greatest hits, and I think John Bon Jovi's greatest hits. All they all kind of caught the same time frame there.
0: I never got into the hair bands. That was a little bit before my time, and I just didn't really care for it. Who was your favorite hair bands? My sister was older
1: than me and she was a big fan. My older cousin was in a band. They, they, they all, it's all they listened to. So I think I got into it pretty young. Um, third hair band all the time, probably Guns N' Roses. Motley Crue's close. Is Guns N' Roses a hair band?
0: Technically, yes, maybe. I mean, maybe? they're on Hair Nation. They were considered heavy metal. I mean, they had the hair. I don't okay, I, I don't think of Guns N' Roses a hair band, but I'm not saying you're wrong. That's okay. I mean, Outside of
1: that, I'll throw some more at you. I mean, I mentioned Poison. I, I love Slaughter, which is really an underrated hair band.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, Beavis and Butthead is coming back. You, you mentioned Slaughter, and I just think, uh, I think a <laughs> Beavis and Butthead watch, I wonder. I can't imagine they're still doing the same stick. Right? They're not watching like White Snake and Rat and like uh, Metallica. Metallica. Who was the terrible band? Like, what, remember the, they had a friend who had like a, a different band name. It wasn't. Oh, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I didn't you watch. watch them,
1: but, no, I didn't okay. Know
0: a little bit before not my time, or maybe I just wasn't really into it. I don't know. It's not coming for some reason. Uh, let's talk food, Pepsi. Uh, okay. Milk in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> it's something know. I was not aware of with the Canadians, uh, you guys, like, I don't know what's, what's to say. I just wanted to say milk in a bag, which, of course, yeah. is not more from the Jack in a bag, which is a whole other thing we it's talk me. DFS. We're the only country that does the milk in a
1: bag. I don't understand it because you got to buy a container and then you got to put the milk in the container they got to cut the top. Like, I don't understand why we just don't have a glass jar or a carton like you guys do. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things I think we do right. That's not one of them.
0: Yeah, I was, I did not know it was a thing when I went to Canada. I was pleasantly, I don't know, I was surprised. I, I remember I held it up. I was thoroughly, I just enjoyed it. I, I think it was a photo op you have to take as uh, an American. I still don't have picture. I still don't have that <laughs> So we were in Vegas, not when you were in Vegas. We were in Vegas a couple years later and we, were, we became friends. We we're at an RG party and uh, myself, yourself, and I think several other RG people, we went to one of the buffets there. And, you know, I don't think you're a buffet guy. And I don't know, in Vegas, of course, it's just so, I mean, the Vegas buffet is just so gluttonous, I guess, for lack of a better word. And we took you to the buffet and I, I don't know how impressed you were, but I remember you were disappointed at the, you know, the desserts at a buffet in Vegas is absolutely ridiculous. Like any sort of cake you can think of, any pie you can think of, any sort of dessert, all the ice cream flavors, all 31. But you came back from desserts and you're like, this is bullshit, man. Where, where are the butter tarts? <laughs> we're like, well, what's what? Butter tarts. And you're trying to explain to us what butter tarts are. <laughs> yeah. You were so angry. There was no butter tarts available. Yeah. I guess it's okay when you're,
1: yeah. I don't remember being as angry as you say I was. And I certainly don't remember saying this is bullshit. I don't think, <laughs> I mean. but I do remember going, I remember actually, I was, I was with Ducky at the time. Ducky and I would wander around together and you know, we just eaten everything from ribs and chicken and fries, you know, to the main course to go into different desserts. And, yeah, I'm like, where are the butter tarts, man? I love butter tarts. I didn't know butter tarts were like a Canadian thing. Like, I haven't been out of the country much. Remember, I, haven't, I was a yeah. poor kid. I just recently committed some money and hadn't traveled
0: much. So, for me, what you grew up around, you just think is normal everywhere. So, I didn't sure. know they didn't exist everywhere else. Another thing that did not exist in Canada but does exist in America, well, I think it's in Canada now, but you love – Cheesecake Factory. Oh. yeah I know your Cheesecake Factory order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any time I
1: landed in the States before I went anywhere, driving or on a plane, before I landed, I knew where the Cheesecake Factory was. That was the first stop every time.
0: And anytime we would meet up or anytime we would go on a road trip or whatever, you just yeah. Cheesecake Factory, it wasn't even a conversation. It was not up for discussion. That was assumed we had to go there at least once on the way to and possibly on the way back as well. Exactly. It wasn't if we're going, it's how many times are we going? You order uh, (laughs) your Cheesecake Factory order. is, uh, I want to say mac and cheese, but I should say child's mac and cheese. Uh, Side order of mac and cheese. Are you sure it's on child's mac and cheese? I think it's a side order. Is it on the kids' menu? No, I think it's a side order. No, it's on the kids' menu. No, it's It's on the side order. We're bearing the lead, though, because you say uh, you insist on it and you say not one, not two, not three, but Four shots of ketchup on the side for your macaroni. That's right. I have no
1: shame. I can admit it. I'm an open book here. Um, First of all, I can't. cheesecake factory. You're not that elegant. I love you. You're the best restaurant in the world for me, but we can have the ketchup on the table. It's perfectly fine, but you don't need to bring me these little, what is this? A shot glass of ketchup. Yes. I'm a ketchup with my mac and cheese guy. I'm sorry. Maybe I never grew up, but yeah, I need four of them. I need four of them. And I don't want to wait for them when my food comes. I might not look like I'm a foodie, but I am. I want a mask when that food comes, so I don't want to wait. So I will pre-order my four shots of ketchup. And I'm
0: they not... never bring you four. They always bring you like two, maybe three sometimes. So you're always it's rare like... that I get four, yes. But, uh, yeah, there's a reason why I order four, because I know I've been here. I've done this. I know exactly <laughs> how much I want and how much I'm going to eat. This is not your first time. This is Yeah, this is not your first radio. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Uh, I had Lafayette on, uh, DFS guy Lafayette, uh not too long ago, and he was talking about – he likes ketchup and his scrambled eggs. Are you also on that team? Yeah, ketchup and eggs, I'm okay with that. I mean, I don't I don't really eat scrambled eggs
1: that often. But, yeah, I would, I would throw some ketchup on that. I mean, ketchup can go with anything. But outside of fries, mac and cheese, and eggs, I don't really use ketchup, to be honest. I eat fairly clean for the most part. But, uh, yeah, I'm a surprise. We've talked about this before on our show. And I thought more people would do the mac and cheese thing. But a lot of people just called me a, a child and said <laughs> that was weird. So I actually lost out on the whole – I don't think it's that – you know, unusual, I think maybe half guys would use ketchup, and I was, I was wrong was that. So I know that I'm uh, in the 10 percentile when it comes to being a grown adult having ketchup and mac and cheese. Now, the other reason for mac and cheese is it's not that big, it's delicious, and it leaves me plenty of room for my massive pieces of cheesecake, which is the whole point of being there. That's why I'm not ordering steak or ribs or anything. It's too heavy. I can't eat the cheesecake. So that's why it's the side order of mac and cheese, or maybe it isn't the kid's, men- kid's menu. I don't know. I, if I had to guess, Dean, I yes. actually think it's a side
0: order. I don't think it's a kid's menu thing, but
1: if it's kid's menu, I'm perfectly fine with that.
0: <laughs> I don't power, care. Give me the power rankings, Pepsi. Give me your, your top three cheesecake flavors at the Cheesecake Factory. Ooh, do you think you can do it for me? We've been together
1: quite a few times. Let me see oh. if you can
0: do my top three. I, I think you, oh man, you like some sort of camel, caramel concoction, maybe like a turtle? Salted caramel, number one, yeah. Okay. Is there like a pecan thing you like? Or am I wrong on that?
1: Mm, yeah, I think you're wrong on that one.
0: I you think bar, Oreo? Yeah, Oreo is number three, probably. Um, it's
1: it's. I'm not an Oreo guy in general. It's awesome. So Oreo is two or three for sure. And then I love the, um, oh, John, I don't like that. Carrot cake cheesecake. I love it. Yeah.
0: That. Oh, sure. That's probably my top three. Yeah. And, and you, we have to have, there's discussions for this because we're going to share them. And you're like, okay, which one are you going to order? And you yeah. counter the order. There's a strategy. You don't just order cheesecake. Absolutely. I mean, if it's you and I, as you know,
1: sometimes <laughs> Sean comes with us or whoever, whoever we have with us. And Dean and I meet in any American city, Canadian city, now that we have Cheesecake Factory, of course, but, you know, we just got it recently. Um, it was always American cities only. And if you met with multiple people, you had to discuss what you're having and I'll share with them. Like last time, producer Simon... And uh, you and I went to one in Nashville and we all had the discussion. Okay. Let's order four pieces. We'll get four different ones. We'll all split them. So not only do you get to have two or three of your favorites, like a half a piece, you also get to try new ones all the
0: time. So at some point you've tried all whatever, 30 pieces or whatever. Absolutely. I've kept you super, super long. Probably the longest I've kept anybody. I think, I think you might have the record now, but I have, I do have one more question for you before you step aside, we let you go. And, uh, hopefully we see you again on the RG streets. I'm hoping so <laughs> I love you. Uh, have you pumping out some content? If nothing else, uh, Hey, we're going to be looking out for your charity work and uh, I want to help that. I want to support that as much as I can as well too. But one last question for you, Pepsi, uh, have you wore the Tommy John underwear yet? <laughs> you, I mean, dude. let's put some context to this. <laughs> do, do people actually know do you want me to tell the story? Tell a story. Sure. Why not? All
1: right, so Dean is infatuated with Tommy John underwear. Now, I'm, I'm a big fan of quality and of comfort. And, you know, once I started actually having some money, I was able to buy things that actually felt nice as opposed to what's on sale. So that was good. So I'm a big fan of quality over quantity now. So he keeps going on and on and on about <laughs> these underwear being the most comfortable underwear ever. I like my underwear. I'm fine. I'm a boxer or a sorry, brief guy. Oh. Tidy whiteys at one point even, to be honest. Maybe that's too much information. Sorry. Ball anyway. white over here. So he finds these briefs, Tommy John, he's like, you got to order these underwears. Like, I think, you're, yeah, you're visiting me in Canada at this point, and you're actually <laughs> online going, here's the ones I have, here's the site, you got to order these. So I'm checking them out, going, well, I don't really have, like, awesome underwear, I never really thought about that, right? So I checked them out, and I think they're $30 or $35 a pair. And I'm like, dude, for a pair of underwear, I get, like, six for, like, 10 bucks at Walmart, you know? But I'm like, okay. I started buying Under Armour quality stuff for bumming around in, and, and expensive stuff. I thought, okay, if it's that comfortable, and Dean swears by it. It's all he'll wear. Fair enough. I trust Dean. So I order a pair. I think they're 40 What I didn't realize at the time was, they're American. So 40 was like $700. I think it was like $55. And then, of course, there's tax and then shipping and handling. So I look at my credit card after I order this, which I should have been paying attention to, and it's like $73 Canadian to pay the tax and shipping. I'm like, I ordered one pair of underwear for $73. Hold on, it gets worse. They arrive at my door. I'm not home. My mother answers, they're delivering the package, but there's customs or fees of some sort that also happened. Yeah. Dean and I Dean and I are in Niagara Falls at the time for the weekend. So my mother pays for the fees because she just assumes I ordered something from the US. She pays for it for me on my credit card, of course. And that was another $20. So I come back home and she says, your package arrived. I paid your fees. $93. (laughs) 93 Canadian dollars. Ridiculous. All his fault. And of course, then he says, you got to wear them. They're comfortable. I said, no, I can't. If I wear these and I want to buy more of them, I can't have one pair. You got to have six, eight, 10, right? I'm like, I can't spend $1,000 on underwear. I don't care how much money I have. I am never doing this. <laughs> so I refused to wear them because I knew Dean was probably right. I'm going to fall in love with these. I ended up buying more. And I'm just like, I can't spend this money on underwear. So I have never worn the Tommy John underwear. They still sit in my drawer. I can't throw them out. It's just You can't throw it out either. Yeah, the ninety-three dollars—they just sit in the bottom of my underwear pile, and that's that's where they are. They're below all the
0: tiny waddies. And if you like it, you're then you're screwed. And now oh, you'd rather just like the ninety-three dollars.
1: If I'd have known,
0: I should never let you talk me into it when I saw
1: thirty-five dollars.
0: Well, but, the thing is, you didn't want to buy more than one because you're like, I don't want to invest too much in it. Because what if I don't like it? So I'm going to try it, one. Right. But Then you didn't do the math. You know, obviously, shipping. I imagine if you ship five or yeah. six, it's, it's less per when it comes to shipping. I feel like uh, maybe I let you do the order and I gave you my credit card perhaps. That's possible. (laughs) Which is why
1: maybe I wasn't really, like I'm not the guy that just buys things and doesn't worry about price. So maybe you were doing it for me and I saw the original price and I gave you my card and I didn't realize it was American and the shipping and handling and all that stuff and taxes and you just pushed it all through and didn't care, I guess. That's a good out for me.
0: You gotta be, I'm I'm here for your comfort, you know? And I got no kickback for the record. I don't know I'm stocking the company. (laughs) I didn't use a promo code. I just, I'm just, I just want my friends to be comfortable. That's all. That you know, my I, did, I did get some revenge years later, though, a couple years later. You remember? Oh, so?
1: Well, I found these underwear in Canada and Walmart that I loved. And I, oh. was out, and I loved them. And then they, you couldn't find them in Canada for many months. And I thought, well, six is not enough. I'm, I'm going to the gym. I'm <laughs> playing sports. You're going through your underwear, right? So I find them on walmart.com. But I can't order them to me. So I said to Dean, can I order some underwear to you in Nashville and have you ship them to me? I'll cover the shipping fees. I can't find these underwear. And of course, I ordered like four packs for like thirty bucks. They weren't that expensive. Yeah, and, and I refused to ever pay you back. I think, <laughs> although you do owe me like five hundred dollars still from Niagara Falls. So. From Niagara
0: Falls, unbelievable. <laughs> <I laughs> yeah, send me, send me the debits and credits on that.
1: I <laughs> not pay for I dinners for- and taxis and things like that. So I forget yeah, free- because you don't
0: drink alcohol and I had a beer or two, and all of a sudden, like I'm taking advantage of you because we split it fifty yeah. fifty or how that works, but. Now we're just like an old married couple fighting on a podcast. Um, Yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Hopefully the people out there enjoyed it as well. Uh, And a lot of the old school people, you know, obviously know you from years ago, but also not too long ago in baseball. And hopefully Pepsi, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we uh, see you doing some content going forward. Uh, I thank you for coming on. Anything else you want to say? Anything else you want to share with the people before we step aside and get out of here?
1: Well, I'm good. I it was I had fun coming on here. It was it was nice to be back and um, talking to producer D Train there. One of my favorite dudes too. I didn't mention him in the whole DFS realm because I guess he's not a DFS guy. Him and Simon producing the shows are always great to work with. And uh, yeah, had a good time in here. And who knows what the future is. But uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. And anybody that's listening, I, I hope you enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I think Devin just woke up. He heard his name. He's falling. He fell asleep <laughs> at like the one hour and twelve. minute yeah.
1: He's like, really Pepsi, 90 minutes or whatever this has
0: been. <laughs> we I thank Devin as well for putting up my nonsense and putting up the show for going too long. His, his, uh, I don't know, his vegetable burger is getting cold or something, but Pepsi, I much appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for coming on. We look forward to, I look forward to your next tweet. I'm, I'm going to tweet about this tomorrow. Maybe you'll retweet it. I don't know. We shall see yeah. <laughs> for fun. What, what is your Twitter? Just in case people care if they want to look for it. Well, good question. Uh, I have it in front of me if you really Pepsi need me to. Pepsi
1: DFS 7? Pepsi DFS?
0: Pepsi it's, 7 DFS? It's Pepsi 7 DFS. There you go. Uh, he's Chris Lowry, better known as Pepsi 7. I was Dean. This was the morning grind. Thanks, everybody, if you stuck around this long. We're out of here. Holler! Holler!